Hello, people of the way. Blessings in Jesus. Uh, something that um, uh, I have to say before we start this study. Uh, for the most part, uh, we have sermons Sunday and Wednesday. Uh, Sunday is New Testament. Uh, Wednesday is Old Testament. Traditionally, that's usually what the Lord has us do. Uh, from time to time, there may be... Uh, Topical messages, me personally, I'm not a fan of topical messages because I like the full counsel of the Word of God. But there's going to be times as the Spirit leads where, you know, the Lord is like, you know, hey, say these things, teach about these things. And this is one of those moments. And it's not going to be a Sunday study. It's not going to be a Wednesday study. It's going to be, you know, another day study. And there might be more. You know, we might have uh, studies straight up seven days a week. You know, depending on how things go, the condition of the world, we might have studies seven days a week, maybe several times, multiple times, you know, I don't know, on multiple platforms. Um, the topic of this study is the rapture. When is the rapture? And, you know, it's, I have to say, you know, I used to hold strongly to a pre-tribulation rapture, which is the rapture of the church happens before the final seven years of world history. That's what I used to believe. And I used to hold hard, hardcore onto that, uh, largely because of what I was told, largely because of movies I had seen. <laughs> you know, you see the Left Behind books, the Left Behind movies, and other movies too. And a lot of people believe in pre-tribulation. And I have to say, pre-tribulation people, they, I consider them my brothers and sisters. Okay, they, they, If you hold on to that uh, uh, theory, you are my brother, you are my sister. I, I want to stress that. And, and, I, and This isn't an attack. Uh, I, I have to stress that as if we were having a face-to-face -face conversation, I'd probably be speaking to you with... You know, watery eyes, maybe even tears streaming down. Because I don't want to hurt you. I don't want to jolt your faith. But as we progress further into these last days, these are things that the church is going to have to come to, come to grips with in a major way. A major, major way. Because people are starting to say straight up nonsense. That the rapture of the church is the falling away. That uh, 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 the rapture of the church is... Uh, 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 try, that rapture is uh, trials. That, rap, that, that uh, 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 Michael, the angel, is Jesus. You know, people are starting to come up with some crazy things to support their idea, to support this theory on pre-tribulation. And if you hold on to pre-tribulation theory, I'm not mad at you. I, 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 this is not an attack on your faith. I love you as my brother. I love you as my sister. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how young you are. And I don't want to rock your faith. And the jolt to your faith, I don't want that to happen, but there might be a jolt to your theory if you hold on to pre-tribulation. That the rapture happens before the final seven years of world history. I'll tell you what I believe. 
you know, we have these uh, messages that are uh, messages uh, that are broadcast online uh, on certain platforms. And I don't think you're listening. Uh, it's it, it's not out of the blue. It's not a coincidence. I don't believe in coincidences. Christians shouldn't. I believe you're listening for a reason. And so as I say these things, if you hold on to pre-tribulation theory, you're going to get jolted a little bit. Okay? And I'm going to speak slowly because what I want you to do is I want you to have your Bible open. Okay? Have your Bible open. I'm not trying to pull you away from any teaching. I'm not trying to pull you away from any pastors, any churches, any mainline doctrines. I'm trying to show you what the Word of God has to say. And for you to make a choice, you know, to abide in Christ, not to suggest that you're not abiding in Christ with, you know, pre-tribulation. You know, as as we are today, right now, the, the day of this recording, you know, it, 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 pre-tribulation, whether you're pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, uh, pre-wrath, you know, it really doesn't matter today. But as we progress further into the last days, it really will matter. It's really going to matter. Have your Bible open, okay? I have to tell you before we start this, I love you, okay? I love you. More than you know, I love you, Okay? These are very important subject matters that we're going to discuss and study. So have your Bible open. We're going to dig deep into certain things. Specifically, the topic of this message is when is the rapture? Okay? When is the rapture? So if you have your Bible, and I'm going to go slowly. I don't have tabs. Normally when I study, I have my tabs. So I'll say, let's turn here, and I quickly flip. and then, But I don't have my tabs. And I do that on purpose. So, you know, we're going to flip through the pages together. Um, turn to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. And we're specifically going to look at the 70th week of Daniel. Okay. So here in Daniel 9, verse 24 says 70 weeks are determined and the purpose of these 70 weeks is in verse 24 it says to finish the transgression to make an end of sins to make reconciliation for iniquity to bring in everlasting righteousness to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy okay so like vision and prophecy it's over that's the 70, 70 weeks. That's what's going to happen at the, 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 the end of the 70 weeks. To anoint the most holy, that's when Jesus Christ returns. Literally, he's going to, his second coming of Christ, he's going to stand on the Mount of Olives. So in verse 24, the first part says, 70 weeks are determined. Now you go into verse 25. Remember, 70. Okay, 70 weeks are decreed is how that translates. So let's do an accounting here. In verse 25, you have to go like in the middle. It says there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. Okay, so seven plus 62 equals 69. Okay, so remember there shall be 70 weeks 
And here we have an accounting of 69. Well, there's one week remaining. Where is that week? That one remaining week is the 70th week of Daniel. Okay? You have to understand these things. This is very important because we're going to look at, you know, other prophecies. You know, the third level, fourth level prophecies. So in verse 24, 70 weeks are decreed. In the middle of verse 25, you see there shall be 7 weeks and 62 weeks. And then you just do math. Yeah. 7 plus 62 is 69. So there's one remaining week. So you continue reading. And where do you see that remaining one week? Verse 27. Okay? This is uh, the final seven years. You hear people say the final seven years. Or you hear people say the 70 week, 70th week of Daniel. This is what they're talking about. Verse 27. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. Okay? This is one week is a set of seven years. One week is a set of seven years. That's why you see, you know, the final seven years of world history. That's why you, the 70th week of Daniel, it's a seven-year period. That's what one week is. And so look what it says here in verse 27. He shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. This is referring to the Antichrist, okay? This is the Antichrist. He shall confirm or, you know, because in verse 26, it says the uh, uh, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. That's Jesus Christ. He's cut off and suffer the death, death penalty is how it trans, uh, translates the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Who is the prince who is to come? That's the Antichrist. In verse 27 says, he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. That translates as to strengthen a covenant with many for one week. A lot of people say it's a peace agreement or a peace treaty. And that's, that's the direction I lean towards. It's a peace agreement. Some kind of peace treaty with Israel and her neighbors. Remember, like, like what, what's happening now in, in uh, you know, I shouldn't say now, but ever since 1948, the birth of Israel. I shouldn't say the birth of Israel, but the, uh, uh, when Israel became a nation again. And so, you know, you've always, you, know, you have like, the, you know, the Six-Day War. You know, you have 1948, 1967. There's always turmoil. You know, what's going on in the West Bank today? Well, there is going to be a peace agreement with Israel. A lot of the, in the 90s, people thought, okay, the Oslo Accords, which is kind of like a, a, a peace agreement, but it wasn't, there was no solidification behind it. You know, was it the Annapolis Agreement? No. There were other prophecies that don't, that didn't align at those particular moments. This is the first time on the world stage where the probability of the next peace agreement with Israel and her neighbors could very likely begin this 70th week because of the mark of the beast system, the way technology is, the way you know love is waxing cold. There are other prophecies that align to say, wait a second, the probability in the 90s was low. In the 80s, low you know the in the 80s late 70s early 80s the late great planet earth 
you know, you could read these prophecies and be like, okay, you know, this might happen, but there were other prophecies where um, it could happen, but it's not probable. In the 90s, uh, it could happen, but not probable. Early 2000s, possibly, but there's some other little minor details. Today, highly probable that the next peace agreement with Israel and her neighbors, the Surround, and the global community could very well kick off this 70th week of Daniel, what we're reading here in verse 27. He shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. It's a set of seven years. Okay, remember that. Let's keep reading. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate. That's very important. What we just read in the middle of the week. This is referred to as the abomination of desolations. Okay? The abomination of desolation, which happens in the middle. Just as it says here in verse 27. In the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate. Now, a lot of times you hear people say, the brainiacs, they'll say, oh, that's, that was already fulfilled, Antiochus Epiphanes. It's a done deal. It was already done. Okay, if that's the case, you know, what was the mark of the beast system? What was, what, was, what was the mark on the hand? What was the mark on the forehead? Didn't happen. Now, Antiochus Epiphanes, it could have been symbolic of like a, 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 a little message to say like, wait, you know, this is a future event now. You know, the Lord does that throughout history. Where something happens where it's like, okay, this is like to kind of wake up the believers. Wake up those who are obedient to him and say, wait, you know, this isn't it. But, you know, keep your eyes open. Stay alert. Stay awake. So a lot of times you talk to brainiacs, they say, oh, this was already fulfilled as Antiochus Epiphanes. Well, you look at correlating uh, 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 prophecy. What was the mark of the beast? What was the mark that was required on the hand or on the forehead? Didn't happen. Didn't happen. We're living in a day and age where this mark of the beast system, whether it be an implant, a lot of people say it's going to be an implant, which it's, it could be. But you see a lot of uh, fight against the implant system. So now what do you see? You see tattoos, like a tattoo, like a, a smart tattoo system. That's why you say like in the 90s, or in the 80s, you know, it's possible, but not probable. Because look at the technology to have an actual mark of the beast system, whether it be an implant, RFID implant, or you know, a, a smart tattoo. In the 80s, no. In the 90s, small scale, you know, not large scale. Early 2000s, you know, still small scale, not global. But today, it can go global. There's already nations that are pushing for a cashless society, especially with this virus and in preparation for future viruses and outbreaks to have, you know, 100% cashless. You know, I, I, me personally, I very rarely use cash. Very rarely. But what happens when they say, okay, you, this is what you have to do. If you want to buy, sell, this is what you have to do. 
we're already living in a day and age where it's like, you know, if you don't have a mask, you can't, you can't enter the store. You can't go to the grocery store. They'll kick you out. And if they don't kick you out and they get caught, they'll shut down the business. So it's like the business owners have a decision to make too. Very, very in- incredible days that we live in. The, the probability is much higher than it was in the 80s, in the 90s, in the early 2000s. It's very important to understand the 70, 70th week in Daniel 9.27. He shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. This one week, that's the one remaining week that we are looking for. Remember, verse 24, 70 weeks are decreed or determined or decreed. 70 weeks. Verse 25 you see seven weeks and 62 weeks. Where is the one remaining week? Here it is in verse 27. And what happens in the middle of that week? He shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate. This is the activity of the Antichrist. What happens in the middle of the week? So the actual identification of the Antichrist we're not going to know until the middle of the week. So, like say, for example, if Israel has a peace agreement on January 1st, 2021, we might be able to say like, okay, uh, wait a second, uh, this might be the beginning of the seven years, but we're not going to know until certain things start to happen. You know, in the middle of the week, you know, like maybe a, a year in, you start to see the third temple being built. Uh, and then you start to see the, the red heifer being sacrificed. You start to see certain things happen where it's like, okay, that's, that's getting, this is highly probable. As a little side note about the red heifer, they might start, they have two qualified red heifers now, uh, uh, rabbis in Israel, two qualified red heifers. I thought there were four, there were others, but they found blemishes. They're officially two qualified red heifers. And they might sacrifice them this year. This year they might sacrifice them. 2020. This recording is made in 2020. Summertime, 2020. They might be sacrificed in 2020. All in preparation for the rebuilding of the third temple. Why? Because it was purification. for The, the Lord doesn't like people exposed to blood. In the Old Testament, in the law, you see you know, no exposure to blood. And so in order for cleansing, it's to say, hey, you know... You can't do it. You can't build. You can't start constructing until this is this uh, red heifer is sacrificed before the age of four in the law. And so these rabbis, you know, they they have two red heifers, qualified red heifers, and they might officially start sacrifice in the last I've the latest I've heard is August of 2020. They might delay it. But there's a lot of people that, that a lot of rabbis and Orthodox Jews, they don't want to wait because what if a blemish grows? What if a, like a little white hair grows on the red heifer? Then it's disqualified. They don't want to wait. So, I mean, things can move very, very rapidly, incredibly rapidly. So it's important to understand, you know, focus on this middle portion. In one week, in the middle of the week, it shall be the abomination of desolations. Okay. Now let's go to Matthew 24. Matthew 24. And we're thumbing through the pages together. This is the most beautiful sound. You hear that? I don't know if you can hear that. That's the pages of my Bible. That's the most beautiful sound. 
the most beautiful, more beautiful than hearing hearing your bride on her wedding day say I do, more beautiful than hearing the birth of your son and hearing his his voice for the first time after waiting nine months, more beautiful than hearing the voice of your baby girl, is this. Pages of scripture. More beautiful than the songbird greeting the morning is this. Pages of scripture. Because the reader makes the pages white. Every jot, every tittle, jumping off these pages into your eyes and right into your heart. Right into your mind, into your heart. And so beautiful. Let's look at Matthew 24. Matthew 24 Let's look at verse 15. Remember the 70th week of Daniel in, in the prophecy in Daniel 9.27? We focused on the middle and the abomination of desolation. Now let's look in Matthew 24. You know, the disciples asked Jesus Christ. They said in verse 3, Tell us, when will, the thing, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? The end of the age. They straight up asked him a question point blank. This is referred to as the Olivet Discourse. You know, you hear a lot of brainiacs, you know, or, you know, people who want to sound smart. They say, they oh, the, the Olivet Discourse. And you're like, what is that? Well, you chop it up. Discourse on the Mount of Olives. In other words, what did Jesus Christ say on the Mount of Olives? You know, the people use all these. Now, when I was like a young Christian, people say, oh, yeah, the Olivet Discourse. This. I'm like, what? The Olivet Discourse? I look at my Bible. I don't see Olivet Discourse. Where is that? But if they just say it's what Jesus told the disciples on the Mount of Olives. Okay, I get it now. So that's the Olivet Discourse. Which is sometimes people say, okay, there was multiple Olivet Discourses. And so they say Olivet Discourse number one, number two. And that's just every time Jesus spoke on the Mount of Olives. So that's what they refer to as the Olivet Discourse. The majority of people, when they say Olivet Discourse, they refer to Matthew 24 and 25. Okay, so if you're talking with a brainiac and they throw out the Olivet Discourse, you know Matthew 24, 25. And in the other Gospels, but we're just focusing on Matthew right now. So that's Olivet Discourse. And in the Olivet Discourse, or, you know, Jesus' teachings on the Mount of Olives, the disciples asked him, when will things, these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? That's what happens in verse 3. And Jesus starts to answer them. He teaches them. He says, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, but let's focus on verse 15. Remember, this, this is a topical message. When is the rapture? In verse 15, therefore... When you see the abomination of desolation. Now, we know in accordance with Daniel 9.27 that the abomination of desolation happens in the middle of the 70th week. Okay? And so, therefore, it's in the middle of the 70th week. And so, what Jesus Christ starts to speak, I mean, straight up red letters. What he, what, what he starts to describe here is from the middle on. So, if you take that seven-year period... You know, in the middle, that's three and a half years in. So Jesus starts to describe the last three and a half years. Okay? So he says in verse 15, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. I love how, you know, you see the red letter in my Bible. You know, I have red letters and then black letters. So like Matthew, you know, who was the tax collector. You know, he's he's writing, you know, he's not writing in red ink, but I mean, you know, you see like, you know, the words of Jesus in red, but then like, you know, it's like 
a little uh, disclaimer from, from Matthew saying, hey guys, pay attention. Whoever reads, let him understand. Pay attention, you guys. I love that so much. You see, like Matthew's like, you know, very tender care. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, we know because we looked at the prophecy in 927, this is in the middle. And then it is written, whoever reads, let him understand. And then red letters again, verse 16. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Judea is the West Bank, modern day West Bank. So when you watch the news or you read the paper, you read the news online and you read about West Bank, you read about Israel annexation. This is Judea. And he says, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. You know what's going to happen? It's going to be a slaughter for the Jews. Straight up slaughter. And that's what you have right now in this area that wants to be, Israel wants to annex. And it was supposed to happen last or a couple weeks ago. I forgot the day, but it was a couple weeks ago. But, or on uh, July 1st. It was the Israel annexation was supposed to happen on July 1st. And then there was delay, and then now all these world communities, Russia, the Palestinians say, we'll, we'll, we'll talk with you, Israel, but we're going to have the, the Russian entourage, the Quartet, the European Union, the uh, uh, United Nations, uh, France, Germany, all these countries are saying, no annexation, Israel, don't do annexation. It's like... You know, I have to wonder, you know, what, was it part of a, you know, wag the dog kind of thing? Politically speaking, was it a wag the dog kind of, you know, scenario? And everybody's pointing to the, to the Trump peace plan. But don't forget, you know, the Trump peace, peace plan, that's one perspective. What's going to be the final settlement? It's very, very sensitive days that we live in because there's a major, major push towards peace in Israel between Israel and the Palestinians. And part of that includes this area of the West Bank, which is Judea, where you have the intermingling of uh, Jews and Palestinians. Jews and Palestinians. And what's written here in verse 16, Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant. You know, you think like, you know, a, a, a beautiful mother pregnant. He's like, wow, this is so beautiful. She's going to have a baby. Their family, they're going to grow. But in the last days, in this particular moment, is to say, whoa. You know, really think, you know, husbands and wives, really think, you know, if you're in Judea, not just Judea, because we're going to read other prophecies where it's like it's going to be a dangerous time on the face of the earth for both Jew and Christian. Dangerous time. I'm not trying to say like, you know, husbands, wives don't come together and handle business sexually. I'm not trying to say that. But you read these prophecies, you have to make your own decisions. I mean, if I were to do marriage counseling with, you know, a husband, wife and, you know, like, we're like at the precipice of certain events in the last days. I would say, well, you know, chill out with certain things, you know, because it's very dangerous days. And it's not to say like, I hate babies. I love babies, you know, and raising up. It's beautiful in the eyes of the Lord. But this is different times. This is straight up the end of the age, the end of the age. It's going to be very dangerous. 
Very, very dangerous. And so look what happens here. In verse um, 18, then, and, and let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes, but woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight not be in the winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation, such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor ever shall be. It's going to be a slaughterhouse. I remember in the news, like, you know, 10, 20 years ago, I forget, but probably about 15 years ago, there were a couple IDF soldiers that got, uh, they, they had a platoon of guys, and two of them were separated. And the two were separated, and it's very, very dangerous for Jews in Palestinian territory. And so these two Jews were separated, and they had to run into a building, and get, you know, they ran into the roof of the building, and what happened? The building was surrounded by Palestinians. And these two Jews were there. And they had that camcorder footage. And it was broadcast to the world. And so these two Jews were on the, on the rooftop. And you know what? They were captured by the Palestinians. And they weren't just beaten up. They were torn apart in pieces. You know, you see a head being kicked around. You see arms being thrown around. And you see a crowd of people cheering. The Palestinians unto these Jews. Whoa, this is this is a different level of hatred. A different it's not like hatred, like, oh, you know, I don't like you anymore. You're not gonna be my friend. No, it's like straight up, I'm gonna kill you. And not just kill you, like shoot you, but kill you, like rip you apart in pieces. That's what they did they did to these two Jewish soldiers. They killed them, tore them apart, you know, cut off their legs, body parts, kicking torsos, throwing them around and cheering. It wasn't like, you know, it's, it, it, it's repulsive to even discuss. But you see a big crowd of people, riotous throng of people and just cheering. And here you have these two, you know, a couple torsos here, a couple legs here, a couple heads over here. And they're kicking them like soccer balls. This is what the Lord is saying. Don't even go down to, to get anything out of your house. Woe to those who are pregnant. You have to run. You have to get out of Dodge. Remember, this is the beginning of the last half of the 70th week. Remember verse 15 says, when you see the abomination of desolation, Jesus Christ says, flee to the mountains. Verse 16, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Now, there's Christians who say, wow, you know what? I'm going to go live in the mountains because, you know, uh, I, I, I don't want, you know, when this happens here. Well, you have to understand the prophecies. The Lord says Judea, which is the modern day West Bank. And that, you know, outskirts of that region. But, you know, for the most part, the West Bank, Judea. You have to understand these. It's not to say like, you know, hey, let's head for the hills. But we have to be wise in the last days as Christians. If you're Jewish and you're listening to this, you have to be wise as well. I say come to Christ. You know, you, you don't believe Jesus Christ is the Messiah? You know, go to the church website, you know, and hit me up. I'll tell you, I'll tell you. We'll, we'll study all the prophecies. We'll look at the, you know, it's not a Messiah. Uh, it's not two Messiahs. You know, one the first Messiah is fulfilling these things. And then, you know, there's a second Messiah that, you know, no, it's one Messiah, two comings. One Messiah, two comings. I don't care what your rabbi says. 
one Messiah, two comings. His name is Jesus, Son of the Most High God. You say, oh, that's blasphemous, that's blasphemous. No, it isn't. Hit me up. We'll study it together if you're Jewish. So, you know, let's look at this. He says in verse 21, For then there will be great tribulations such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Let's continue. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there, do not believe it. It's going to be very important, the last day's Christian. You know, waiting for Jesus Christ. Waiting for Jesus Christ and everybody saying, hey, look, he's over here. He's over here. Look, there's Jesus Christ over here. Do not believe it. That's what Jesus Christ says. Do not believe it. So what do I say? Do not believe it. In verse 24, for false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Don't be deceived. Signs, wonders, I don't care the signs and wonders that people perform. What's the truth that they speak? People say, oh yeah, you know what? Jesus Christ is over here. Look, I can pull a rabbit out of my hat. Jesus Christ is over here. Look, I can make this guy float. I can do these things. Remember, there's a false prophet too who's going to pull fire down from heaven. The Lord will permit him to pull fire down from heaven. Do you know how many people will believe in what he has to say? The world is going to believe what he has to say. What about when this false prophet says, Oh, by the way, you have to take a mark of the beast, put it on your hand. You have to to take this mark. Put it on your hand or put it on your forehead. Everybody, the world is going to do it. And he says, oh, by the way, you can't buy or sell without it. So these false Christs, false prophets, what is it that comes out of their mouths? I don't care what magic tricks they do. Signs, wonders, I don't care. What is the truth that comes out of their mouth? If they're false, there is no truth. It's twisted. It's to deceive. That's what they do. It's to deceive. The truth of God's holy word will protect you. You might have heard me say this before. I used to say it all the time. Maybe I still say it all the time. But I had about a four-hour conversation with the guy. It was three and a half hours, maybe three three hours, 45 minutes. But I say four hours. Eh, 3.30. You know, three and a half, three, three and a half hours. And we had this long conversation. And he was saying, oh, you know what? The Bible says this. The Bible says this. I was like, okay, yeah, you're right. It says that. But it is also written. And he was a brainiac. You know, he would say like, oh, use all these, you know, Christianese words. Not even Christianese words. He would use like academic words. He'd say, oh, yeah, you know, there's this. I'm like, what do you mean? What does that mean? And he'd explain it. It means this. It's like, oh, okay, I get it. Well, you're still wrong, you know? Like, you know, Olivet Discourse. He'd say, oh, yeah, the Olivet Discourse. He wasn't Olivet Discourse. I forgot what it was, but Olivet Discourse. What do you mean? Well, it means this, you know, when Jesus Christ was here. Where? On the Mount of Olives? Is that what you mean when you say Olivet? Yeah. Why didn't you just say it? So these brainy, you know, they try to sound smart, but they're deceptive. We had this long conversation. He would say, yeah, the Bible says this over here. Say, no, it doesn't. 
What you're referring to says it over here. And when you read it in context, it says something entirely different from what you propagate. Finally, after about three and a half hours, three hours, 45 minutes, I told him, I said, look, the Jesus you're following is an imposter. The Jesus that you're telling me about is not the Jesus of the Bible. Just like Mormonism, you know, they talk about Jesus Christ. It's a different Jesus. It's not the Jesus of the Bible. It's an entirely different Jesus. The brother of Satan, they say. So whenever you're talking to a Mormon and they talk to you about Jesus Christ, remember, they're talking to you about a different Jesus from the Jesus of the Word. Or the same with the Jehovah's Witness. Or like when a Catholic talks to you about, you know, uh, uh, glory, grace, it's entirely different from what the Word of God says. You know, I'm talking about the truth of God's holy word, Genesis to Revelation. This is the full counsel. So what is that? When you understand truth and when you know it, I mean, and you can only know in part, you know, that's what First uh, Corinthians 9, uh, 13 says. Those who know, know only in part. But when you have an understanding of the full counsel of the word of God, People will say certain things. Maybe even people that you respected. They will say something and you're like, wait a second. That's wrong. What you're saying is wrong. I told this guy. You've created another Jesus. Because you're talking about a Jesus that is not the Jesus of the word of God. And I said, you need to repent because that is idolatry. He took a pause. Kind of smiled at me. And he says... I'm the guy the Bible warns you about. It's like, whoa. Okay. And I started to cry a little bit. Not because I, you know, these are ideas that are peddled in churches for the consumption of God's sheep, God's lambs. And I started to weep for the sheep. Weep for the lambs. That's what I'm talking about. Understanding truth. It's not to get on a high horse and say, yeah, I know the Bible. No. It's to get on the low horse, you know. Get on the humble horse. And get on the donkey, not even the horse. Get on the donkey and be humble. But know your word. Know your Bible. It's what the last days is going to be. It's going to be intensified, rapidly intensified. And you can feel it. I mean, if you're a Christian and you're listening to this, you can. Feel it's palpable. It's in the air. I remember like 10 years ago, five, 10 years ago, we were in New York. And, you know, you could feel the energy in the city. You could cut it with a knife. You could just feel it. We were in the financial district. You know, Monday morning in the financial district. And it's like, whoa, it's like hustle bustle. The streets are crowded, cars, cabs, everything. And then like you people on the sidewalks. You can't walk in a straight line. You got to like, you know, go around people. And it was so cool. It was like, whoa, you go to the coffee shop. It's like, you know, loud music. You say, okay, I'll take this. And like 10 seconds later, it's done. Like five seconds later, they call your name out. Like, what? I mean, it, that was fast. 
So it's like whoever the barista was, like listening while I was talking, da da dun, and boom, done. It's like five seconds. It's impossible. How'd you do that? They're just like the energy of the city. And you get out there. I was on vacation, you know, so I wasn't, you know, hustle bustle. But I, I wanted to see the hustle bustle. <laughs> but it's like the energy of the city, like, whoa, this is crazy. But the same exact thing applies to that. You can feel the evil in the air. You can feel it. It's palpable. Sometimes when you're with people, you can just feel the evil around them. The days are dark. And it's getting darker. The days are evil. And they're getting even more evil. Included in that is false teachers. False prophets. You have to know your Bible, my friend. Male, female, young, old, I don't care. You must know your Bible. Because the Lord will protect you with truth. His truth. That's having your sword very, very sharp. Very, very sharp. Not dangerous for you. Dangerous for them. And this guy I told, hey, you know what? You need to repent because that's idolatry. You're talking about a different Jesus from the Jesus of the Bible. You've created another Jesus in your own image. Yeah, he, you know, he had the academic part down. He fooled a lot of people. He fooled pastors. He fooled elders. But because I knew my Bible, not to say he didn't fool me, but the Lord protected me with the truth of his word. Pastors, elders, you know, shockingly, their swords are butter knives. Butter knives, not even butter knives. They're like, you know, the, the uh, you know, like a child's butter knife. You know, like the plastic, you see like a little toy set. You see a butter knife. That's what these, sometimes pastors and elders have butter knives like that. Uh, the most dull, if they even have a butter knife. I'm talking to you and I'm telling you, have your sword sharp. Not dangerous for you because you are well skilled. Because false Christs are coming. False prophets I shouldn't say that. False Christ and false prophets, they're already here. But Jesus says in verse 24, they're going to rise. False Christ and false prophets will rise and show signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he is in the desert, do not go out. Or look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. So our Lord telling us. Don't believe what they have to say. What do people do today? They listen to false teachers. You know, they're not even listening to the Lord. You know, the, the Lord, the Bible teaches. And when I say the Bible and the Lord, it's, it, 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 it's the same. The Word became flesh. And so, you know, people like, I think, don't you even read this? I want to like tell them, like, do you not even read this? How could you sit here in this fellowship? How can you sit in this fellowship where the pastor gets up and starts teaching false, doc false doctrine, false teaching? I mean, clearly, and not about the rapture, but, you know, about other things. They propagate, you know, you look at the seeker-friendly movement, the emergent church. You see all these things, you know, uh, praying to angels, grave-soaking. These are in, you know, mainline churches. 
It's like, why are you? Do you not? The Lord even says here, don't be, don't be deceived. Don't believe what they have to say. And this is what he says in verse 27. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation. Remember in verse 21, he says, For then there will be great tribulation, which is after, in verse 15, the abomination of desolation which is the middle point of the 70th week of Daniel in accordance with Daniel 9.27. So we're getting a little calendar, a biblical calendar of events, okay? And Jesus Christ says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, in verse 29, the sun will be darkened and the moon will give its light. The, The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. You see? In verse 31, they will gather together His elect. You know what that is? That's the rapture of the church. They will gather together His elect. That's the rapture of the church. Based on what we've read so far, We know in verse 15, the abomination of desolation happens in the middle of the 70th week. What does that tell you right there about the rapture? There's more, but this is just my first volley here. Remember, I don't want to rock your faith. But there are certain things about holding on to pre-tribulation theory that the church is going to have to come to grips with. And I don't want you to fall away. Because the Bible says there will be a great falling away. I don't want you to fall away. If you hold on to pre-tribulation theory, I don't want the peace agreement to come and it rocks your faith to the point where, well, you know, We weren't supposed to be here. Therefore, the Bible is wrong. No, the Bible isn't wrong. Whoever taught you that was wrong. The movie you saw was wrong. The books you read were wrong. What does the Bible have to say? I don't want you to fall away. I want you to stand firm in Christ. And grow in Christ. And learn to fight. Take your sword. You know, if you have a butter knife... We have some sharpening to do as iron sharpens iron. We got to bash that thing and make it sharp and sharp and sharp and sharp. I don't mean bash it like in a you know harmful sense. I mean bash it like pound it and shape it and get it sharp and sharp and sharp. You know why? Because the last days are coming. The last days are here. And so people say in verse 20 in chapter 24 of Matthew, oh that's for the Jews. It's not for the Christian. It's for the Jews. Okay. If that's the case, are there two raptures? 
one for the church and one for the Jews. Nowhere in the Bible do you see that. Oh, Matthew 24 is for the Jews. You hear that? You know why? People say that because they need to support their pre-tribulation theory. A better approach is to yield to the Word of God and see what the Word of God has to say. If Matthew 24 is for the Jews, does that mean there are two raptures? The rapture of the church in accordance with pre-tribulation theory and then the rapture of the Jews? No. The Bible doesn't teach two raptures. One rapture. Okay? It's very... But plus, if Matthew 24 were for the Jews, you know, what does that say about in, in, in verse 40? One will be taken and the other left. About the men. And then in verse 41, two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. I don't know. It, it's, does that mean there are three raptures? You know? Uh, you know, one for the Christian, one for the Jews in, in Matthew 24, and verse 31, and then a third one uh, for Matthew 24, verse 40 and 41? Does that mean there are three raptures? No. One rapture. One rapture. Remember, also, in Christ, there's no such thing as Jew and Gentile. In Christ, there's no such thing as male, female. In Christ, there's no such thing as slave and free. Because we're one in Christ. You could have a guy who's a multi-billionaire, who's a Christian. And you could have a guy who's, you know, uh, makes, uh, I don't know, $10,000 a year. And depending on where you live, you might be like, wow, that's a lot of money. Well, in Western cultures, it's not a lot. I don't mean to, you know, laugh at that, but, you know, it's not a lot in Western cultures. You know, immigrate, you know. <laughs> but you see, it's like, say, so you have this poor guy and then you have this billionaire. 10000 a year and then, say, like $2 billion a year. In Christ, the Lord doesn't care. He's not going to say, like, wow, look at this billionaire. Look how awesome he is. No, everybody's the same. Like this saying goes, it's level ground at the cross. The Lord doesn't care how rich you are. The Lord doesn't care how poor you are. The Lord doesn't care about this, that. He doesn't care about your appearance. He doesn't care how you look. He doesn't care about your abs or your flabs. You know, He doesn't care. He cares about your soul. And He loves you. God loves you. So much so that He gave His only begotten Son. Let's continue. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. The church in Thessalonica was both Jew and Gentile. Okay, both Jew and Gentile. Let's read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 15. Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica, For we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. This is what we just read in Matthew 24. It's about uh, until the coming of the Lord. When Jesus says after the tribulation, immediately after the tribulation, you know, the sun will, uh, the, 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 the moon will no longer give light. 
And it says here, will by no means precede those who are asleep. Verse 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven. Remember in Acts chapter 1, verse 9 and 11, when the disciples, they were like, oh, and they, they were kind of bummed out because Jesus Christ ascended into heaven. And then the angel says, why are you guys going crazy? You know why? Don't lose heart. Don't be sad because the same Jesus, he's going to return again in the same way he ascended on a cloud. He's going to come down on a cloud. It says in verse 16, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. That's harpazo in the Greek, the rapture of the church. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. Remember Jesus Christ? He goes up in the clouds and the angel was like, you know, disciples, don't be sad because Jesus Christ is going to return in the same manner. And that's what's written here. It says, we will, shall be, when he returns, he, we shall be, uh, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, Comfort one another with these words. And so you say, in verse 16, you see, the dead in Christ will rise first. Notice in verse 15, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. So the dead are going to rise first. And then what happens when the dead rise? They're going to meet the Lord in the air. And then those who are alive, are they're going to rise up and they're going to meet the Lord in the air and they're going to meet together in the air. We shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. That's what it says in verse 17. This is the rapture of the church, which correlates to what we read in Matthew 24. Now, I have to say something. A lot of people today speak about the doctrine of imminency, okay, which is the imminent return of Jesus Christ. Whenever you hear that word imminent, uh, from a pastor, from a teacher, from a movie, from a book, whenever you, whenever you read that or see it or hear it, more than likely they're referring to, uh, they, they, have, they hold to a pre-tribulation theory, more than likely. But the church in Thessalonica had the same problem. I shouldn't say problem, but they had the same theory. They thought there was the imminent return of Jesus Christ, like, wow, Jesus Christ could return at any moment. Let's head for the hills and wait for him. That's what happened in the church in Thessalonica. Paul caught wind of that. And he had to write a second letter to the church. He had to write a second letter to the church. Now, let's go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. This is what Paul says in verse 1. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord, what we just read in Matthew 24, what we just read in 1 Thessalonians 4, Concerning the coming of our Lord, Jesus Christ, and our gathering together to Him. Those are, we, we've read about the gathering. We've read about the, the harpazo. It's the rapture of the church. And our gathering together to, to Him. We ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. So the church in Thessalonica, they were like, what, did we miss it? 
You know, is he coming? He, is his coming imminent? We don't know. Let's head for the hills. Let's wait for him. Paul caught wind of it and says, hey, guys, calm down. It's okay. Don't worry. You didn't miss it. You didn't miss it. And, you know, the doctrine of imminency. Well, you know, let's see what, let's see what Paul has to say about the doctrine of imminency. A lot of people hold to this. The imminent return of Jesus Christ. It can, the rapture of the church can happen at any time. At any time. You don't know. It can happen at any time. So be ready. And I'm not mocking them by saying like that, but that's what they say. Be ready. That's what the church in Thessalonica was like. First Thessalonians. I should say Paul's first letter to the church in Thessalonica. In Paul's second letter to the church, he says, guys, don't worry about it. I mean, don't, you know, he says, don't be troubled. Don't be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter. As if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Then he says this in verse 3. Let no one deceive you by any means. Highlight that. If you have your Bible and you have your highlight, you should have your Bible because, you know, you have to go through the Bible. You know, when I read it, you follow along. Because I want you to see it with your own eyes from Holy Scripture. I want you to see it with your own eyes. Highlight this. Let no one deceive you by any means. The same thing that Jesus Christ said. Don't be deceived. Paul says it. Don't be deceived. Peter says it. Don't be deceived. See these people, these beautiful, beautiful men and women of the Lord. You know, look at... Uh, um, Priscilla and Aquila, you know, I say beautiful men and women of the Lord. It's like, wow, guys, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. That's what Paul is writing here, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Let no one deceive you by any means. For that day, what day is he talking about? In verse 1. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him. That's verse 1. Okay, so we got... Do a little mental check mark in verse 1. Okay, the coming of the Lord. And then that's the first check. The second check is our gathering together to Him. So the coming of the Lord and the rapture of the church. So that argument of Matthew 24, oh, that's for Jews, that's for Jews. Well, Thessalonican church, they were Jew and Gentile. The majority was Gentiles. So that whole, you know, Matthew 24 is for Jew argument. It doesn't hold water. It doesn't hold water. And he says in verse 3, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. Now this translates as apostasia, which is the apostasy. Apostasy. There are people today who say that the falling away is the rapture of the church. It's unbiblical to say that. It's unbiblical to teach that. Falling away means falling away. It's the apostate believer. I shouldn't even say the apostate believer. It's the apostate church, former Christian, somebody who turns their back on the Lord. The falling away comes first. There's other Bible references to a great falling away. That's what this is. The falling away comes first, and that man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. Do you know when the man of sin is revealed? Do you know what that happens? It happens in the middle of the 70th week of Daniel, just like we read in Daniel 
9.27, just like we read in Matthew 24, the man of sin, the Antichrist, is revealed in the middle of the 70th week. And Paul is writing here, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Said, remember the check mark, the mental check mark in verse 1? Coming of the Lord, check. Rapture of the church, check. And he says that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. And that revealing of the son of perdition is in the middle of the 70th week. What does that say about pre-tribulation rapture? Already, what does that say about pre-tribulation rapture? I want you to open up your Bible and be exactly where I'm speaking in. Because I want you to see it with your own eyes. And definitely, definitely pray and seek the Lord. Because it's very difficult to hold on tightly to pre-tribulation theory and let go. And that's what I'm asking you to do. And I don't want to hurt you. I don't want, I'm telling you this because I love you. I'm not telling you this because I want to, you know, in pride say, oh, I am right. I am right. What, what do I gain? The majority of listeners, I don't even know you guys. <laughs> what do I gain? No, I don't want you to be deceived. I don't want you to be deceived at all. These are very, very perilous times that we live in as prophesied in the Bible. Dangerous, dark, evil days that we live in. And Paul says here, the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. You know when that happens? That's the abomination of desolation. What Jesus Christ mentioned in Matthew 24, you know, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. In Daniel 9.27, you see the abomination of desolation is in the middle of the 70th week or in the middle of the seven years. And Paul is saying, hey, remember the check mark? One of those check marks was our gathering together. To Jesus Christ, the rapture of the church. Paul says, hey, don't be troubled. Don't be soon shaken, guys. You know, I know I said that in first that my first letter to you. I know I said that in my first letter to you that uh, uh, we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet them, to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. And I know I said that in my first letter to you. That's from First Thessalonians chapter 4. And Paul is saying, I know I said that to you in my first letter, but you know I'm going to write in my second letter to you and explain, wait a second, don't be soon shaken, don't be troubled, because that day isn't, it's not going to happen until the falling away comes first. It's not the rapture, even though a lot of people, pastors, doctorates in theology, master's degree in theology, they go to major seminary schools and they say, this falling away is the rapture of the church. No, it says the falling away, apostasia in the Greek, apostasy. It 
And he says this in verse 5. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? I love that. You know, in the Old Testament, you see the Lord through the, sometimes it's the Lord straight up and sometimes it's the Lord through prophets. He says, don't forget, don't forget. You know, bind this on your heart, bind this on your mind, like lock this in your heart. And then like you see, like when a chastisement comes, he says, you guys have forgotten. Paul says the same thing. Do you not remember? In verse 5, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things. You know, there's something repetitive about, you know, teaching the Bible. It's repetitive. And, you know, praise be to the Lord. I'm not complaining about it, but praise be to the Lord because, you know, that's how we learn sometimes, by repetition. By repetition, you do the same thing over and over and over and over. Repetitive motions. And finally, it just becomes secondhand. You just, like, you just... It just becomes, it's becomes so repetitive that it's like, it's just becomes part of your nature. And I love that. And Paul, Paul says the same thing. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? A lot of times, if you're a pastor listening to me, you know, you want to be fresh. You know, a lot of pastors, you go to seminary schools, because, oh yeah, you want to be fresh. You want to engage the crowd. You know, that's not your job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Let the Holy Spirit do that. You don't have to be fresh. You don't have to dress a certain way, look a certain way, speak a certain way, use all these fancy words, use all these buzzwords, you know, the buzzwords of the day. No, the, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It's not a sales pitch. You're cheapening. If you're doing that, you're cheapening the power of God. You're turning it into a mere sales pitch when it is nothing like that at all. There's going to be times when there's repetitive nature in what you teach. Praise be to the Lord, because like muscle memory, muscle memory, your sheep, your lambs, that the Lord is allowing you to shepherd. They're going to learn. They're going to grow in Christ. And then you're not going to be alone. You know, the Lord's going to put on your heart, on their hearts. You know, help this guy. Join them in ministry. Join this guy in ministry. I don't want him to be alone. He feels alone, but I don't want him to be alone. Join him in ministry. Now, if you're a higher, if you're a pastor and you're listening to me, a so-called pastor, a so-called elder, and you're a hireling or a wolf, then woe is you. Woe is you. You're supposed to teach God's people, the sheep that you have in your fellowship, the lambs that you have in your fellowship. They don't belong to you. They belong to another. We have a master. His name is Jesus Christ. You think he doesn't know? You need to teach. And if the Lord didn't call you to teach, you need to step down and you need to repent. And you need to be, make your heart right with the Lord. Get right with God. And the Lord will raise up another. Remember, if you're a pastor or if you're a teacher, an elder, you're going to be held to a higher standard. It's very serious. You're talking about souls. You're talking about the redemption of souls. That's what we're talking about. We're not talking about a sales pitch. And so look what happens here. 
in verse 5, Paul says, do you not remember that when I was with you, I told you these things? It's so cool to see Paul say that. Because you know what that means? The church forgot. <laughs> He's, he told them. But he caught wind that the church was freaking out. Based on what the first letter he wrote to them, that we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. And the church was freaking out. He says, you guys don't be soon shaken or troubled in mind. Don't be, don't be freaking out. It's okay. You know, that, that day, it's not going to happen unless the falling away comes first and the man of sinners revealed. Something that happens in the middle of the 70th week. Paul told them he was diligent to tell them. And he's diligent to remind them. In verse 6, he says, And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. Speaking about the Antichrist, the revealing of the Antichrist. For the mystery of lawless, the law. The, the mystery of lawlessness is already at work only. He who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. It's the Holy Spirit. People say it's Michael. I don't believe it's Michael. It's the Holy Spirit. People say, oh, it's Michael and, you know, Michael is Jesus. No, that, that's crazy talk. A lot of, I won't say names. Maybe you're hearing me and you know it. You know who I'm speaking of. You know of the group of people that I'm speaking of. They say, you know, Michael and Jesus are the same. No way. No way. Jesus is son of the most high. Michael is an archangel. Don't get me wrong. He's, you know, high on the echelon of, you know, leadership, angelically speaking. Gabriel is. But there's only one Jesus. It's not Michael. It's not Gabriel. And so, I mean, you know, not to denigrate Michael and Gabriel, <laughs> but even they bow down to Jesus Christ. Remember, like John's a revelator; he's having his visions. They, they tell anytime you see these angels in the in the Bible, they say, "Oh, don't worship me. You know, I'm a servant like you." That's what they say. The angels, the godly ones, the demonic angels. You know, some of you fall down to worship them. They say, oh yeah, worship me. Because they want worship. They want your worship. They want to take your worship away from the Lord. So you bow down to worship an angel. That's how you can tell. You know, and you read in the Bible. It's like, okay, this is a godly angel. And the angel wants worship, just like Satan wanted it in Isaiah 14. And you know, that's a demon. It's a demon. It's not an angel. It's an angel of death, an angel of darkness, a demon. You know, spiritual warfare. This is how we know. And don't worship these guys, you know. Worship the Lord. Worship Jesus Christ. And so look what happens here. The restrainer, he who now restrains, will do so until he is taken out of the way. That's why you hear me say in my sermons all the time, store your oil. Be a wise virgin. You know, ten virgins, five are foolish, five are wise. The wise have oil for their lamps. I say that for a reason. Because I want you to store as much oil as you can. Because when this day comes, when the restrainer, he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Do you know what the world is going to look like without the ministry of the Holy Spirit? But do you know what your hearts are going to look like? When you have plenty of oil for your lamps? Do you know what your homes are going to look like when you have plenty of oil for your lamps? In verse 8, And then the lawless one will be revealed, 
whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. He says this, the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. You see, it's Satan who's authoring these things. The, the, the lawless one, according to the working of You see, lawlessness on the streets today, lawlessness on the news, lawlessness all, all over the place. It's according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. Don't ever hate truth. Love truth, even when it hurts. Love the truth, even when it hurts. I'm the first to admit, the truth of God's holy word is painful. It hurts. But praise be to the Lord because you're being chastised. You know, no, just like Hebrews tells us. I'll read there really quick. In Hebrews, <laughs> Hebrews twelve eleven. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. It's how you're made righteous by chastisement. You know, and other means too, but chastisement is one of them. Just like spanking a child. You're a parent, you spank a child. You're not doing it to bruise them, to hurt them, and you know, don't beat them to a bloody pulp. But they have to feel the little smack. It hurts. Say, hey, get your finger out of the socket. You know, a little smack on the rear. You know, don't play with those knives. A little smack on the rear so they realize, whoa, I shouldn't play with these knives. You're not doing it out of hate. You're doing it out of love. You don't want them to hurt themselves, get electrocuted and die. You know, run around with a knife, fall down and a knife goes in their eye, hits their brain, they're dead. Say goodnight. You're doing it to protect them. And so what Paul is writing here to the church in Thessalonica, this right, unrighteous deception, lying wonders, the, who, who it uh, falls under this spell are the ones who did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. In verse 11, And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. It's judgment. Strong delusion. You look at the world today, strong delusion. You know, you go to Thanksgiving dinner, you meet with your family, you meet with your friends. What do you see? Strong delusion. You know, we're in a political year. Presidential election. What do you see? Strong delusion on both sides. You know, the majority of, you know, strong delusion is, you know, tends to lean, you know, one, one direction over the other. But you see strong delusion. It's everywhere. And it's growing. You know why? Because wide is the way that leads to hell. But narrow is the way that leads to life. The majority, they don't want God. The minority, the Christian, and even among the Christians. 50-50 ratio. Five are foolish, five are wise. It's a remnant according to grace. In the church. 
It says here in verse 11, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So all their acts of unrighteousness, they like it. They had pleasure in unrighteousness. It's very important to understand these things. This revealing of the Antichrist, which happens in the middle of the 70th week. And Brother Paul is writing here in chapter 2, verse 1. Hey, concerning our gathering together to the Lord. It's not going to happen until the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed. What does that say about pre-tribulation rapture? And you hear people say, I'm not looking for the Antichrist. I'm looking for the Christ. Well, when you look to the Christ of the Bible, read his words. What does he say? Do not be deceived. What do his servants say? Do not be deceived. Look to the Christ. Look to Jesus. But then understand his words. Understand the words of his servants. Inspired by the Holy Spirit. You say, wait a second, we're not appointed to wrath. We're not appointed to wrath. Very true. It's very true. We're not appointed to wrath. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Very, very true. We're not appointed to wrath. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 6. Therefore... Let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. So, you know, have self-control in the last days. Don't be stupid. Don't be getting drunk on your wine. Don't be being stupid with pornography, your sexual stuff. Be clean before the Lord. Your alcohol, your drugs, your marijuana. Oh, it's legal now, so I can do it. Oh, I do this extracting. I get these special oils. They do extracting from coca leaves, too. So they can snort their lines. Is that okay? God created the coca leaf. Is that okay? Oh, God created it. It's nature, so it's okay. God created nature, so it's okay. I can do these things. Well, magic mushrooms. Is it okay then? Don't be stupid in the last days. A lot of foolish. That's what Paul is saying here. Let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. Keep awake. Be vigilant is how it translates, and self-control. Don't sleep, keep awake, be vigilant, and be self-controlled. That's how verse 6 translates. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath. It's biblical truth. God, did not, God does not appoint Christians to wrath. He doesn't appoint His people to wrath. Even Israel, He doesn't appoint to wrath. Because what happens, like, you know, the, the, the 144,000, they have the seal of the Lord. And when God's wrath comes, He says, hey, don't hurt, you know, it, it, the command to the angels is, don't hurt those who have the seal of God. All these things are going to befall the earth. He said, don't hurt those who, who have the seal of the Lord. And so, look, you know, God does not appoint us to wrath, but we have to make distinction, okay? In accordance with pre-tribulation theory, the wrath of God is seven years. 
But when you read the Bible, the wrath of God is not seven years. Okay? The devil's wrath, it's a different word than God's wrath. Satan's wrath is thumos in the Greek. God's wrath is orge. Okay? Say, for example, you're in a boxing ring. Okay? And you're a big burly guy or a big burly lady. You know, lady fighting a lady, guy fighting a guy. And you have this, you have to fight. You're big, burly, you're highly skilled. And you have to fight this little twig, little pipsqueak. You know, and you, you really you feel, comp- not compassion, but it's like, you don't want to destroy him. I mean, you could eat just one punch and he's gone. And, and you don't want to dis- destroy him. So, you know, this little guy is coming, he's punching, 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 punching. And, you know, it's, you know, round one. And, you know, you might jab, jab, jab. You're like, okay, maybe a jab will knock him out, but it's not working. You know, so it's like you haven't really turned on the wrath yet, you know. But the little guy, he's like, you know, putting on his wrath. He's like, you know, giving it all his might. And it's not even, it's like you're getting hit with a feather. And then round two, the same thing happens. You know, you're getting hit with a feather. And it's all his might. You know, he's giving you wrath, his wrath. And then finally you're like, okay, I'm getting hungry. I want to eat a cheeseburger, so I'm going to knock this guy out. And then your full might, it's like, boom, you turn on the wrath, and this guy is gone. He is not dead, but I meant like just destroyed. What I just described to you is the difference between Satan's wrath and God's wrath. Not that they, you know, I gave a boxing match to, you know, give to exemplify the weakness of Satan and the might of our Lord, the Almighty. Because Satan's wrath in Revelation 12 verse 12 says, For the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows he has a short time. That's Satan's wrath. It's thumos in the Greek. God's wrath is orge. Orge. So when you see here in verse 9 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, For God did not appoint us to wrath. You know what that is? God did not appoint us to orge. You have to make the distinction between Satan's wrath and God's wrath. You have to make this distinction. Satan's wrath is, it starts in the middle of the 70th week. It doesn't start, people say, oh, the, 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 the wrath of God is seven years long. No, it isn't. The wrath of God is not seven, seven years long. God, the wrath of God is like, minute the wrath of satan is from the three from the middle of the 70th week towards the end of the 70th week at the very end god's like okay you know what this is over and literally it's over and the whole time the lord is giving warning before the 70th week the lord is giving warning the beginning of the 70th, uh, before the 70th week, the Lord is giving warning. At the beginning of the 70th week, the Lord is giving warning. The middle of the 70th week, the Lord is giving warning. The last part of the 70th week, the Lord is giving warning. And what is the warning? Repent, 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 repent. Just like it does in the entirety of the Bible. Repent, 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 repent. It's very important to make the distinction between thumos and orge. Satan's wrath is thumos. God's wrath is orge. In verse 9, when he says, For God did not appoint us to wrath, it's not saying 
God did not appoint us to the 70th week of Daniel. So therefore, it's pre-tribulation. No, he's saying God did not appoint us to, thum, uh, to orge. His wrath. His wrath. Satan's wrath begins in the middle of the week, the 70th week of Daniel, against Jews and Christians, both Jew and Christian. Turn to Revelation 12 with me. I'll explain this. <clears throat> Revelation 12. Revelation 12, verse... Revelation 12, verse 13. Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. He's speaking about Israel who gave birth to Jesus Christ, who gave birth to the male child. Notice that you know, male child is Messiah. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might, she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time, times, and half a time. You know what that is? A year. You see time? That's one year. Times is a series of two years. And then half a time is, you know, half a year. So what does that mean? You take one plus two plus 0.5. What do you get? 3.5, three and a half years. It's the last half of the 70th week. That's what, you know, when the anti you know, when Jesus Christ says, let those be in Judea flee to the mountains, where the fleeing to the mountains is what happens here in verse 14. The woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time, times, and times, and half a time from the presence of the serpent. So the serpent spewed water out of the mouth like a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. Remember, Satan has power too. He's, he's given power to, for signs and wonders. This flooding carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. You see this, you're like, wow, what, what's going on here? What's going on here? Well, you know, if you remember our studies in the Minor Prophets, if you're listening to this message, you want to hear those studies, you know, just go to the church website, you know, and, you know, we can publish them or, you know, email or, you know, we'll get them to you. But, you know, you have these uh, 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 um, uh, caverns that open up. You, you see it like in Florida, you know, like the earth opens up and like there was a guy a couple of years ago, I mean, like 10 years ago, there was a guy who was sleeping in bed. They never recovered his body. He was sleeping in bed. Then all of a sudden the earth opened up and swallowed up practically his whole house. And the portion of his house was where he was sleeping. They never recovered his body. That's what's going to happen here. When you look at our study in the Minor Prophets, the earth is going to open up. And it's like this water, the flooding, it's going to make it go in there. And Israel is going to be saved as they're fleeing to the mountains. Just as the Lord says in, in Matthew 24, let those be in Judea flee to the mountains. They're going to be running through the wilderness and they're going to be sheltered. They're going to have, you know, in the in her, her play, in verse 14, where it says, uh, given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time, times, and half a times. That's the last half of the three and a half years. Remember, in verse 13, he persecuted the woman. And the serpent, he's chasing after her. In verse 15, he's chasing after her. That's Israel. And in verse 16, the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of, the off, of her offspring. That's the remnant. The remnant of her seed is how it translates, the remnant of her seed. 
who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. You know who that is? Christians. Christians. You see, you read these passages and it's like, oh, okay, I get it now. Remember, this is Satan's wrath. This is thumos. It's not orge. Orge is God's wrath. What we're, the Christian is not appointed to. We're not appointed to uh, orge. You say, does that mean we're appointed to thumos? Well, let's look at Revelation chapter 13, the next chapter. Does that mean we're appointed to thumos? Look at Revelation 13, verse 4. So they worshiped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? These are this is the world. You know, the, the world at large. They they worship the beast, the Antichrist. In verse 5, and he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for forty-two months. You know what forty-two months is? Three and a half years. He's given authority. To continue for 40 years. And you see this. uh, To continue. It translates to make war. To continue to make war. For three and a half years. Who is he making war against? Well to the Jew first. Just as we read in uh, uh, chapter 12. Verse 14 through 16. And then to the Christian. In verse 17 of chapter 12. In verse 6. uh, 13 6. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. So remember, he has a mouth of great blasphemies. In verse 7, it was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, to conquer and prevail against them is how that translates. He said, oh, we're not supposed to be here. We're not supposed to be here. Well, Remember the passages we studied. Matthew 24, 1 Thessalonians 4, 2 Thessalonians 2. Remember these passages we studied. The check mark in 2 Thessalonians 2, 1. The coming of our Lord and our gathering together to Him. There's two check marks. The second coming of Christ, check mark. Our gathering together to Him, check mark. That's the rapture of the church. Paul says that day is not going to happen unless the falling away comes first and the son of uh, perdition is revealed. The man of sin has revealed the son of perdition. And what happens when the son of perdition is revealed, the Antichrist? He's making war against the Jew. The Lord's going to protect the Jews. When I say he's going to protect the Jews, remember 144,000 will be sealed by him. So there's going to be a lot of death all over the world. A lot of death. Including Christians. Because in verse 7, it was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given over every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and faith of the saints. If you're a pastor listening to this message, as we enter in the last days, remember verse 10. Bind verse 10 on your heart. 
because a lot of pastors, they're going to like succumb to government. Oh yeah, we have to submit to government, submit to government, submit to government. And so, you know, depending on, you know, where you live geographically, there's going to be governments on the world which oppose the force of the Antichrist. There will be. I pray it's, you know, I, I live in America. I pray it's America. One of them is America. There's going to be a series of nations that are, are allied with Israel. But, you know, we're at, the globe is at a major turning point. Because once freedom-loving countries are now turning into embracing socialism, totalitarianism, fascism. Look at what's coming in. You know, don't you can't you know got to shut down your church. And if you open up your church, only twenty percent, twenty-five percent capacity, social distancing. You know what happens? You know in California, saying you can't sing in church. You no, know, you if you do have church, you know you can't sing. That's why you hear me say in sermons sometimes, you know, are we living in the days where the church has to go underground? We need wisdom. Wisdom of the Lord, the guiding of the Holy Spirit. But in verse 10, say, he who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. That's not to say, okay, you know, let's submit to government and, you know, do church like they, the government wants us to do. That's what the, 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 what's happening to the church in China. Today, if you want to have a, a church, if you're a pastor and you want to open up the church, you have to be approved by the government and you have to swear allegiance to government in China. Government approved sermons. Anything that comes against government, you can't teach or else you'll be arrested. Your church will be shut down. If you're a pastor, don't lead your fellowship into captivity. Don't ever do that. And look what he says here. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Be very careful with violence. You know, I live in America. A little small fellowship in America. We have the Second Amendment, which I love. But, you know, it's not to say, okay, I'm going to start blowing people away. You know, you want to shut down my church? You want to shut this down? Okay, I'm going to blow you away. People come to the door. Oh, yeah, we're going to burn it down. We're going to burn it down. Okay, I'm going to blow you away. We have to be wise. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Remember this verse. If you're a pastor, if you're an elder, if you're a Bible teacher. I, I shouldn't even say that. Remember this verse if you're a Christian. Remember this verse. You know why? Because in the last day, your pastor might be killed. Your pastor might get his head chopped off. And then the elder is going to get beaten, abducted, thrown in prison, get his head chopped off. Who's left? Who's the next in command, so to speak? I mean, Jesus is in command. But who's next to lead the fellowship? So remember verse 10. You want to lead in captivity? You want to be like the, the carnal pastors in China? You know, and, you know, worship a, a, a government. Swear an oath of allegiance to government. No, you're a hireling if that's the case. You have to translate this message in Chinese. But you're a hireling if that's the case. Don't do that. 
You know, you're an ambassador in chains. Ambassador of Christ in chains. You're leading God's sheep, God's lamb to Zion. That's what you're doing. If you're a pastor, if you're an elder, if you're a Bible teacher, that's what you're doing. You're leading the sheep to Jesus Christ. Don't take them to captivity. Don't take them to the place of violence. You know, he who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Very sensitive times of the utmost sensitivity. What does that mean? We have to have ears to hear, ears to hear and eyes to see. And it's written here in Revelation 13 verse 10. Here is the patience and faith of the saints. Translates as here is the endurance and the faith of the saints. So yeah, it's true. We're not appointed to God's wrath. But God's wrath, biblically, isn't seven years. God's wrath, biblically, is not even the last three and a half years. God's wrath is more towards the end. You know, there's like a series of earthquakes, but then there's like a major earthquake. You know, God's wrath is right around there. We're going to look at these passages. Let's look at Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7. <clears throat> Daniel chapter 7, verse 25. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High. This is the Antichrist. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High. You see, he's speaking against Jesus Christ, the Most High, but against God. Shall persecute the saints of the Most High. Christians, persecute. It says here, and shall intend to change times and law. Then the saints shall be given into his hand. You know, a lot of people say, oh, there's going to be revival during this. No, I don't see revival. There's going to be a lot of death. A lot of death. Across the world, you know, the, the, um, against Jew, what we just read in, in Revelation 12 and 13. And then against Christian too. Against Christian too. Then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time and times and half a time. It's like saying a year and two sets of years and half a year, which is, you know, three and a half years. A time, times, and half a time. You see? It's almost identical to what happened to Israel in Egypt. Israel and Egypt. Where, you know, Egypt didn't experience God's wrath until the waters consumed them. That was God's wrath. Precursory to God's wrath, what happened? You have plague after plague after plague after plague. You have the frogs. You have the uh, bloody waters. You have the hail. You have the, uh, uh, um, uh, um, uh, the pestilence. You have lice. You have warning after warning after warning after warning. And then finally, okay, go ahead, Israel. You can leave. And it was fake. Israel starts to leave. And what happens? The Egyptian army chases them. So the plagues aren't God's wrath. 
The plagues are just that, plagues. It's not God's wrath. The plagues were warnings. Remember all the, the wise men, uh, Janice and, and, and uh, Jeffrey, you know, Janice and Jambres, you know, even the at the beginning, they were like, oh, you know, we can do these tricks too. That's not, the, that's not God. You know, we're stronger. We, we can do these tricks too. And then, you know, all of a sudden you read a couple chapters further and they're the one, Janice and Jambres, the magicians, they're telling Pharaoh, Pharaoh, we can't fight. Israel's God is more powerful than anything. You have to, you know, let them go. And, you know, God hardened his heart. And all the time through the warning, Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then finally, when the warnings weren't heeded, God hardened his heart. The plagues that befell Egypt, that wasn't God's wrath. The plagues were the plagues, warnings. Remember, God made himself known. He told Moses, I'm going to make myself known. What did God do? He made himself known. And, you know, the people who yielded to him, Israel, they got to the end of the water. And I love it because Moses starts to pray. And the Lord's like, Moses, why are you praying? I told you to go. And all of a sudden the waters parted. And Israel passed on dry ground through the water. They get to the other side. Egypt is chasing, all the might of Egypt is chasing them, their chariots, their weapons, everything. And then what happens? God's wrath, destruction. People think, you know, the plagues are God's wrath. No, the plagues aren't God's wrath. They're warnings, warnings to befall the earth, to say, hey, you know, repent, believe in Jesus Christ. God is going to make himself known again, just like he did with Israel in Egypt. God made himself known to Egypt and not just to Egypt, throughout the land. Because all these other countries, all these other peoples, they saw, wow, I thought Egypt was God. I thought Pharaoh was God on earth. But this God of Israel, look what he did to Egypt. It's very important to understand these things. And don't forget that Israel, Israel in Egypt, what did they have? They had a special place called Goshen. Where the Lord protected them. They had light. When darkness came on Egypt, they had light. Israel had light because God protected them. You know, it's like in uh, Exodus chapter 8, verse 22. And in the day I will set apart the land of Goshen in which my people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there, in order that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the land. I will make a difference between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign shall be. You see, that's what happened. Look at chapter 9, verse 26. Only in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel were, there was no hail. You see? In Exodus chapter 10, verse 21. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, darkness which may even be felt palpable darkness, just like the days in which we live today. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. You know what they needed to have in order there for it to be light in their dwellings? Oil. That's what they needed. That's what they had. 
What does the last day's church have? Oil for their lamps. Except the foolish ones, they run out of oil. The wise ones, they have plenty of oil. You have to make the distinction between God's wrath and what it looks like. The plagues are warnings. The plagues are plagues. Warnings, repent, repent. And, you know, yes, people are going to die in these warnings. Just like what happened in Egypt. Let's look at Revelation chapter 6. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 6. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 6, verse 12. Revelation chapter 6, verse 12. I looked, and when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood. That's exactly what we read in Matthew 24, verse 29. Exactly the same. And then, you know, in Matthew 24, 29, and then Jesus says, you know, after that, is, uh, I will gather the elect from the four corners of the earth. That's, uh, it matches. It matches exactly. Matthew 24, yeah, 29, it matches exactly. The sun became black as sackcloth, a sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood. Where does that place the rapture? Not before the seven years. In the seven years. Not just in the seven years, but well into the seven years. I'll explain further. And the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it, when it is rolled up and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man, free man hid himself in the caves in the, and in the rocks of the mountains and said to, to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come and who is able to stand? This is Orge. Remember, Satan's wrath is Thumos. And he has wrath. And power is given to Satan to prevail against the saints. It's by the Lord. By the Lord. Satan has wrath. You don't need me to tell you on that. Look at the world today. Look at homes. Look at marriages. Look at kids. Look at parents. You don't need me to tell you that Satan has wrath. But God's wrath is entirely different. When God's wrath happens, the Lord straight up makes himself known. And it's with beyond the shadow of a doubt. It's like, whoa. Just like what he did with Pharaoh. You have to make this distinction. Satan's wrath and God's wrath. Let's look at Ezekiel 38. Ezekiel 38. Ezekiel. Ezekiel. I love him. Love this guy. Ezekiel. Ezekiel 38, verse 16. <clears throat> 
verse 16 says, You will come up against my people Israel like a cloud to cover the land. It will be in the latter days that I will bring you against my land so that the nations may know me when I am hallowed in you, O Gog, before their eyes. Gog is like a satanic entity. Um, thus says the Lord God, you are, are you he of whom I have spoken in former days by my servants, the prophets of Israel, who prophesied for years in those days that I would bring you against them? And look at what he says. He says, and it will come to pass at the same time when God comes, God comes against the land of Israel, that the Lord says that my fury will show in my face. For in my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath, remember, we're not appointed to God's wrath. We're not appointed to God's wrath. I have spoken, he says. Surely in that day there shall be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. This is the same verbiage as what we read in Matthew 24. And these Revelation passages, what we just read in Revelation 6. Same exact verbiage. So that the fish of the sea, the birds of the heaven, the beasts of the field, all creeping things that creep on the earth, and all men who are on the face of the earth shall shake at my presence. The mountains shall be thrown down. The steep places shall fall, and every wall shall fall to the ground. Remember what we just read in, in Revelation 6 when the people are like, hey, you know, fall on, they go into the mountains and like, fall on us. They want the, the, everything to fall on us. Look what's happened here. In verse 21, I will call for a sword against Gog throughout all my mountains, says the Lord God. Every man's sword will be against his brother. Every man's sword will be against his brother. Today, we're living in the days of preparation for this thing, this event. Because we see these in our own families. Every man's sword will be against his brother. It's sad. Families. Uh, biological kin separated by Jesus Christ. And yet it's sad from a biological standpoint, but these things must happen. These things must happen. Jesus Christ says, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to divide because a soul has to make a choice for himself a soul has to make a choice for herself. No, I'm standing with Jesus Christ. That's the choice that you have to make. So we're, see, we're living in days where you see this division. There was always division before in the past. But it's amped up. It's amped up. To the point where the world will hate you because you're a Christian. Every man's sword will be against his brother. In verse 22, And I will bring him to judgment with pestilence and bloodshed. I will rain down upon him, on his troops, and on the many peoples who are with him, flooding rain, great hailstones, fire, and brimstone. Thus I will magnify myself and sanctify myself, and I will be known in the eyes of many nations. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. You see, the Lord, just like he's gonna, he made himself known in Egypt, he told Moses, I will make myself known. The Lord says it to us today. I will make myself known. I will make myself known. He says straight up. Let's look at Revelation 14 now. Remember, we're not appointed to God's wrath. These passages are the wrath of God. 
the orge of God. Thumos is satanic. You know, Satan has his, you know, with his forces like Gog, the Antichrist, the, the false prophet, and all who worship him. All these satanic forces. That's, that's wrath, except it's Thumos, satanic. It's Satan's wrath. That's not orge. God will make himself known. Turn to Revelation 14. In Revelation 14, verse 14. Revelation 14, verse 14. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud. And on the cloud sat, sat one like the Son of Man, having his head, having on his head a golden crowned, crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Thrust in your sickle and reap. Translates as harvest. Thrust in your sickle and reap or harvest, for the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. You see? But then look what else happens. So he who sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. This is the rapture of the church. The rapture of the church. Remember, the wheat and the tares have to grow together. Remember the parable that Jesus spoke of? The wheat and the tares, he says, the wheat and the tares have to grow together until the time of the harvest. What we're seeing right here is the harvest, the rapture of the church. That's the wheat, the harvest of the wheat. But let's look at what happens with the tares. In verse 17, Then another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar who had power over fire. And he cried with a loud cry to him who had a sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. So the angel thrust his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine to the, of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. So the wheat, the wheat is, uh, they're not appointed to God's wrath. The wheat just like we see here in uh, uh, Revelation 14, verses 14 through 16. That's the wheat not being subject to God's wrath. But the tares, the weeds, they're subject to God's wrath. Verse 19, so the angel thrust his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and threw it into the great, great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trampled outside the city, and blood came out of the winepress up to the horses' bridles for 1,600 furlongs. It's a long stretch of land. And when you follow the prophecies, you start to see this, this stretch of land. It, 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 covers, it encompasses the valley of Megiddo, the Kidron Valley, Eden to Jerusalem. And what do you see? That's this... 600 furlongs, which is a stadia, 184 miles. What did we just read in Ezekiel 38? The Battle of Armageddon. 
Megiddo, where the Lord will gather nations. Prior to that is the rapture of the church, where the wheat and the tares grow together until the harvest. You see in verse 16, so he sat on the on the cloud, thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. That's the wheat. The tares, the wheat, not subject to God's wrath, not appointed to God's wrath. But the tares, they're subject to the great great winepress of the wrath of God. That's what the Bible teaches. You say, whoa, this is wild. I've been taught that the rapture was before the seven years. I know you have. That's why it pains me to tell you. I have like bittersweet emotions with this. It pains me to tell you because I don't want to hurt you. I don't, I don't want to rock your faith. I want your faith to grow in Christ. But growing in Christ requires the truth of God's holy word. It's a requirement. And so we look at this topic of uh, the harvest, the, uh, the harvest of the, of the wheat. That also coincides with the fullness of the Gentiles. A lot of teachers will say the rapture of the church is the fullness of the Gentiles. And I completely agree. The rapture of the church is the fullness of the Gentiles. I'm in complete agreement. But to be placed that at the beginning of the seven years, when these passages that we just read, you know, in verse 16 of Revelation 14, Revelation 14, 16, so he who sat on the cloud thrust his sickle on the earth and the earth was reaped. That's the fullness of the Gentiles. Look, it says in verse 15, Thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. That's the fullness of the Gentiles. It doesn't place it before the 70th week. Timing-wise, it's well into at the very end of the 70th week. Right before the Battle of Armageddon, which coincides with... Uh, 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 Ezekiel 38. You say, okay, hold on. Hold the phone there. What are you talking about? Let's go to Romans 11. Romans 11. <clears throat> Romans 11, verse 25. This is Brother Paul writing to the church in Rome. He says this, Romans eleven twenty five, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. I completely agree that the fullness of the Gentiles is the rapture of the church, what we just read in Revelation 14. The harvest is ready, the, the earth is ripe. The harvest is ripe. But here in verse 25 of Romans 11, the fullness of the Gentiles coincides with the blindness that has happened to Israel 
until this event, until the fullness of the Gentiles. So what does that tell us? When is Israel unblinded? When? Zechariah 14. Let's go there. Zechariah 14. Look here in Zechariah 14, verse 1. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, and your spoil will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. That's the battle of Armageddon in Revelation 16, verse 16. The Lord says, I'm the one who's gathering the nations. Just like we read in Ezekiel 38, the gathering of nations in Jerusalem, in, in the area of Jerusalem, but in Megiddo, in the valley of Megiddo. The armies of the Antichrist are going to come and fight against Israel. And Israel's going to be losing the fight. Militarily speaking, they will be losing the fight. And I love it so much. I mean, I don't love the fact that they're going to be losing. But you know, when the Lord comes, it's when Israel like, okay, we're losing. It's like acknowledgement of like, wow, we're, we're helpless. We're helpless. And you know what? The Lord did the same thing to me when I was helpless. When I have come to the when I had come to the end of myself, and I was completely helpless. You know what happened? The Lord was there. He does the same thing to you. He does the same to all who believe. Except Israel is blind until the fullness of the Gentiles, when they're unblinded. It's when they're, they realize, like, wow, we're losing. We can't do it. They're disarmed. Militarily, they can't fight back. They're just, they're losing. Very often in your life, in your walk with Christ, you'll come to the end of yourself and you'll have the beginning of the Lord, which teaches you a great, great lesson, the denial of self. And Israel's going to experience that. He says in verse 2, For I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city shall be taken, the houses rifled, the women shall be the, and the women ravished, raped, is how it translates. You know, taken, it says the city shall be taken, captured and occupied, the houses rifled or plundered, and the women ravished. It's to copulate with. It's, they're raped. Half of the city shall go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. What we just read in Ezekiel 38, verse 16 through 23, when the Lord says that he's going to make himself known. And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. Whoa. Jesus Christ is coming back. He's going to return. And, you know, He's going to set his feet on the Mount of Olives? Yes, that's precisely what he's going to do. You know what happens before that? Before he sets his feet on the Mount of Olives? The rapture of the church. Because the dead in Christ will rise first. Remember, the, those who are alive will by no means precede those who are... Uh, uh, or uh, Those who are alive will by no, no, mean, no means precede those who are asleep in Christ. So the dead will rise first, be caught up in the air... Meet the Lord in the air, and then the living will be caught up as well and will meet the Lord in the air. And when the Lord sets his feet down, he's going to set his feet on the Mount of Olives. 
and he has a Olivet Discourse. What's his Olivet Discourse? Let's look at Zechariah chapter 12. Chapter 12, same book. In verse 9. It shall be in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. That's what we're reading in 14, in, in, you know, when he gathers the nations. But then there's a little special something that happens to Israel. The remnant. And I will pour on the house of David on the, and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Notice, they're now, the Holy Spirit is being poured onto them. I will pour on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Now, let's go to chapter 13 really quick. When he says, they will look on me whom they pierced. In chapter 13, verse 6, this is what the question that they're going to ask him. And one will say to him, what are these wounds between your arms? Then he will answer, those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. When they ask that question, that's when the scales will fall from their eyes. They're going to receive the Holy Spirit. The scales will fall from their eyes and they're going to realize we killed the Messiah. What have we done? He says this going back to chapter 12 verse 10. He says, they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grie grieves for, her, for a firstborn. In that day, there shall be great mourning in Jerusalem like the mourning at Hadad Rimon in the plain of Megiddo. You see? Remember what we read in uh, Romans eleven twenty five. The fullness of the Gentiles is the rapture of the church. But in that same verse, it coincides with blindness of Israel being unblinded. Well, this is the unblinding of Israel. Which coincides with the battle of Armageddon. Which happens in the plain of Megiddo. You see? It's so beautiful how the Word of God is just, it just laid out before us. So, you know, in these last days, you know, it, like this, as we enter into quite possibly the beginning of the final seven years, potentially very soon, and I mean within a year, maybe even sooner, six months, I don't know, you know, nobody knows the, you know, when it's going to begin. Israel's going to have a peace agreement. And that could be that could start the seven year clock. We're not going to know until we get further on, but there's going to be another. We're going, but when we look at the entirety of prophecies, we we are officially living in an age where the probability is very high, higher than it's ever been. The mark of the beast system, technology, the way to the global layouts. Don't forget, we're having all the, like, the locusts. All over the place. We have more pestilence. The bubonic plague. These are all signs. Just like the signs. And you know. You think okay. Yeah there's frogs. You know. Egypt wakes up. And there's frogs. No big deal. 
okay, the frogs are gone. Egypt wakes up and there's flies. No big deal. It's a huge deal. Because these are all opportunities to say, wow, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he is the most high. And you know what? He has a son. He has a son. And he sent his son into the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's what the Bible teaches. You might be listening to this message. You're just a non-believer. You're just curious to you know, like, what's up with all this Christian business? How come Christians are talking about the last days? God loves you. He wants a love relationship with you. We're talking about some scary things. <laughs> but praise be to the Lord, because you're hearing this message. That you, I want you to know that God loves you. So what will the church be doing? It's like, okay, so that we're, we're going to, seven years begins, there's the middle of the 70th week, and then you get further in the 70th week. What's the church going to be doing? Let's go to Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12. Uh, verse. Actually, Daniel 11. Sorry about that. Daniel 11, verse 31. Daniel eleven thirty-one, 31. And forces shall be mustered by him. This is the Antichrist. And they shall, be, they shall defile the sanctuary fortress. Then they shall take away the daily sacrifices and place there the abomination of desolation. Remember, that's the middle of the 70th week. Those who do wickedly against the covenant, he shall corrupt with flattery. So he's like, you know, he flatters people. Those who Remember, he's going to enter in peaceably. Look at verse 24. He shall enter peaceably. So the first three and a half years, he's going to just a man of peace. A man of peace. What does the world need today? The world needs Jesus Christ. But carnally speaking, what does the world desire and seek? A man of peace. The man with the plan. He's going to say, okay, calm down all this, you know, the racial inequality, you know, financial inequality. Yeah, you know, it's just, he's going to be a smooth talker. He enters in peaceably. But he's wicked, blasphemous. Son of perdition. It says here in verse 32, Those who do wickedly against the covenant, he shall corrupt with flattery. But the people, this is very important, but the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. The people who know their God. That's us. That's the Christians. That's the wise virgins. And those of the people who understand shall instruct many those are Bible teachers, pastors, elders, you know, even female Bible teachers, female Bible teachers. Not just, you know, you think oh, an official pastor, an official elder, an official ministry. Look at uh, uh, um, Priscilla and Aquila, husband and wife, teachers. Verse 33, and those of the people who understand shall instruct many, yet for many days they shall fall by sword by, and flame. By captivity and plundering. It's death. Christians. So yeah, there's going to be Bible teachers. And they're going to teach. But they're going to die too. We. 
we're going to die. In the last days, we will suffer casualties. The church will suffer casualties in the last days. As surely as the Lord lives, the church will suffer casualties. Those of the people who understand shall instruct many, yet for many days they shall fall by sword and flame, by captivity and plundering. Now when they fall, they shall be aided with a little help, but many shall join with them by intrigue, and some of those of understanding shall fall to refine them, to purify them, and make them white until the time of the end, because it is still for the appointed time. When you hear me say Christians will take casualties, the church will take casualties, it is a biblical truth, but be of good cheer, because there's a purpose behind it. Verse 35, it's for refining, to refine the lambs, refine the sheep. To refine them, purify them, and make them white. If you're a pastor, if you're an elder, and you're a, if you're a Bible teacher, remember these words. I, I say these things to give you reassurance. Because in the last days, the world will hate you. The world hates you already, but the world's it's going to be amped up big time. To the point where the Antichrist gives the order, okay, I'll kill the Jews. And the Lord's going to protect the Jews. Okay, kill the Christians. It's not that the Lord's not going to protect the Christians. He will protect the Christians. But there's certain things that have to happen. Remember, beautiful in the eyes of the Lord are the death of His saints. You say, like, I don't get it. The Lord doesn't want us to be alive. He wants us to have life everlasting. Physically, what separates you and me from Him today is this life. Physically. That's how much He wants to be with you. So much so that He gave His only begotten Son. If you're a Bible teacher, and you're threatened, and they say, hey, you're not going to teach God's Word anymore, or else I'm going to slice off your head, you know what you do? Tell them God loves you. And lift your chin up. Here. Take it. I don't want it. It's to purify them. Look at he says here in verse 35. We're going to take casualties. We will suffer casualties. But there's a purpose behind it. To refine, to purify, to make them white. Until the time of the end. Just like Jesus says, the wheat and the tares have to grow together until the harvest, the time of the end. What does that say about pre-tribulation? I'll tell you some arguments I hear about, you know, pre-tribulation. You know, oh, the book of Revelation is in chronological order. It isn't. A lot of people say that the book of Revelation is in chronological order. So they say, okay, this happens this, chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. So, you know, all the entire seven years is God's wrath. No. Revelation is not in chronolog chronological order the same way the Bible isn't in chronological order. The exact same way certain books of the Bible, some chapters are not in chronological order. You have to piece the Bible together. If you want to... Follow the Bible in chronological order. You have to know the Bible. 
You have to know the Bible like there's nobody's business. It's like a puzzle. It's like a puzzle. It takes time to put a puzzle together. And you know, you put a puzzle together and maybe you get frustrated. I can't do it. And what do you have? A helper comes alongside you. So, okay, this goes over here. This goes over here. The same thing applies with the Word of God. We have a helper. But you have to know the Bible. If you want to piece things together, you have to know the Bible, number one, and understand, too, that even Daniel wanted to know the prophecy, what they all meant. And the angel told him, it's not for you, Daniel. Don't worry about it. It's for the generation of the end. It's for the last day's generation. As we get further and further into the last days, it's going to become more clear. It's going to become very clear. You say, wait, the revelation is in chronological order. Why do you say it's not? I'll tell you why I say it's not. Turn to Revelation 18, verse 2. Revelation 18. Revelation 18, verse 2. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and it has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. Babylon is fallen. Revelation 18, 2. Now turn with me to Revelation 14. Revelation 14, verse 8. And another angel followed, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, the great, that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. So those two verses we just read, Revelation 18, 2 and Revelation 14, 18. If Revelation is in chronological order, does that mean Babylon falls twice? No. Babylon doesn't fall twice. Babylon falls once. I was talking with the pastor recently. And he was telling me, well, you know, Revelation is in chronological order. You know, Revelation 14, an angel is saying that what is going to happen. And then in Revelation 18, it's what does happen. Well, it's in past tense in both, in both scenarios. Both chapters, Revelation 18 to Revelation 14, 18, it's in past tense. Babylon is fallen. Not Babylon is going to fall. Or Babylon is falling. Present tense. Or will fall. Future tense. Past tense. Babylon is fallen. So if Revelation is in chronological order, does Revelation does 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 Babylon fall twice? The answer is no. Therefore, Revelation is not in chronological order. That's just one example. I can give more examples. Revelation is not in chronological order. Another argument I hear is, okay, the word church isn't mentioned in Revelation 4, verse 9, uh, verse 4, uh, chapter 4 through chapter 19. You won't see the word uh, church, which is true. You don't see the word church in Revelation 4 through 19. But you also don't see the word church in 2 Timothy. Do we dismiss 2 Timothy and say, okay, you know, it's, it doesn't apply to us. It just applies to those who happen to be in this situation. The word church is not in 1 John. 
Do we say, oh, it doesn't apply to us? You know, it applies to whoever, you know, whoever this is. The word church is not in Second John. The word church is not in Jude. That's pretty poor logic. And I don't mean to say that meanly. I'm not trying to be mean-spirited. But that's pretty poor logic, especially when you see in Revelation 4 through 19, where people say the word church isn't mentioned, you see the word saints. Saints are mentioned. Are saints not the bride? Saints are definitely the bride. Put a little asterisk next to that. I'll explain a little bit. People say, oh no, those are tribulation saints. There's a difference between, you know, the raptured church and then, you know, people that become Christians during the seven years. There is? There isn't. You don't see that breakup. You only see that breakup for, from the person who adheres to pre-tribulation theory. Pre-tribulation theory. You have saints mentioned in uh, the Gospels and the Epistles. You see saints mentioned. Are they not the bride? They are the bride. Remember, put the asterisk there. Tribulation saints is it was created to support pre-tribulation theory. I don't mean to sound arrogant in speaking this way. I don't want to be mean-spirited, and I I don't want to be mean-spirited. But we have to understand what the Bible says in these passages that we've looked at. Me personally. I happen to, I think and I wonder even still if the church in the last days is broken down to a cellular level. Like no, no longer church building structures because of the coming persecution and persecution that is already here and persecution that's going to get worse. Or, you know, churches that have sworn allegiance to the world system. You know, churches that have become social justice warriors. You see it. Major, you know, mainline pastors, they're teaching what's on the news. They're teaching a social social gospel. They're t- focusing on colors. They say, oh yeah, you know, black people and white people, you know, let's come together, do these things. And I'm not saying that, you know, you know it shouldn't be that way. But remember, in Christ, there's neither Jew, Gentile, Slave, free, male, female, it doesn't matter. I don't care if you're white, black, pink, purple, blue. I don't care. God loves you. Choose you this day whom you shall serve. And so you have these mainline churches today. I happen to wonder if, is the church under judgment? Is the church under judgment? Today has judgment begun. Turn to 1 Peter really quick. 1 Peter chapter 4. First Peter chapter 4 verse 17. This is what Brother Peter writes, inspired by the Holy Spirit. He says, For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. That's how judgment begins. You think about coming judgment and the wrath of God? Well, where does it begin first? 
It begins in the house of God. When God cleans house. You know? Christians who are doing things that they ought not to do. Pastors who are doing things that they ought not to do. And what happens in their churches? What happens in their fellowships? I happen to wonder, like, you know, when I pray, I pray, Lord, is the church under judgment? Your judgment. Because has the church at large, have we lost our way? Have we forgotten you, Lord? I wonder. I pray that we haven't forgotten. As a, as a church body, I pray that we haven't forgotten the Lord. But judging by what I see, I happen to think that the Lord has become forgotten. But the Lord will make himself known. And he will refine the remnant. Peter writes, For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins begins with us first, what will be the end or what will be the result of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Whoa, that is heavy. Heavy. Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, I mean... That's like, you know, that that puts things in major perspective. The righteous one is scarcely saved. Where will the ungodly and, and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God. You see? That's a major question. Why would God allow the church to suffer? And Peter writes, Therefore, let those who suffer According to the will of God. Remember, it's Psalm 116, verse 15, where the Lord says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. It's passing on. Going from earth to paradise. That's what death is. Earth to paradise. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to Him in doing good as to a faithful Creator. So I, when I pray, I'm not very public with my prayers. I like being private with my prayers. But I'll be public about this. When I pray, that's a question that I ask of our Lord. Is the church under judgment? Have we lost our way? Lord, wake up the pastors. Wake up the elders. And if these have lost their way, Lord, get them out of the way. Raise up another. Raise up a Timothy. Raise up a Priscilla and Aquila. I happen to wonder if the church today is, as I said before, if it were being broken down into a cellular cellular level, like little cell groups, where instead of a main, you know, big church structure building where all the people go, that might still happen, but what's being taught? Is it truth? Or is it strong delusion? Or is the remnant going to be taken into little cell groups, little home fellowships, with roving pastors, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, encouraging the saints. That's what I wonder. 
That's what I include in my prayers. That's what my prayer life looks like. Lord, are we in the age of the roving pastors? Are we in the age of the, the roving Bible teachers? To go and encourage the saints, the remnant, to be wise fishermen and fisherwomen and strong warriors. Is this the day that we're living in? Or is that yet to come? And if it's yet to come, Lord, prepare us for these moments. These are just some ideas I have about the reason why the church, the word church is not mentioned in Revelation 4 through 19. Because maybe it's gone, it's been reduced to the cell level. Little home groups, home fellowships, little, little tiny bodies with roving pastors, roving Bible teachers. And if the church is under judgment, this is just what I think about, what I ponder, what I pray about. I don't know. I can't say with definitive, you know, clarity that this is it. This is what it looks like. But I wonder. And even though the word church is not mentioned in Revelation 4 through 19, you see the word saint. Are, are they not the bride? People ask me the question all the time. Why would God allow the church to suffer? What well, we just read here in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God. According to the will of God, commit their souls to Him in doing good as to a faithful Creator. Why would Jesus hurt His bride? Well, there's two things here. You're assuming that Jesus is hurting His bride. He's not. Because you're confusing. You know, God's wrath isn't seven years. Don't forget Thumos and Orge. Thumos is Satan's wrath. Against the Jews and then against the Christians. And power will be given to Satan to prevail against the saints. It'll look like he's winning. That's what it will look like. But you know what's happening? The church is being refined. Jesus isn't hurting. You know, when you read these prophecies, Jesus isn't hurting the bride, the church. Satan is. God's wrath is entirely different. That's orge, immediate. Satan's wrath, it's last for a, a time, times, and half a times, so the last three and a half years. When I said there's two things here, you're assuming the marriage has happened already. The marriage hasn't happened. When you, when I and you and we refer to the bride of Christ as Christians, that's a forward-looking reference. I pray that it's the case for all of us, the Christian, that we are the bride of Christ. But the marriage hasn't happened. Yes, we're betrothed unto Him. We're engaged to Him. We're virgins unto Him. But among the virgins, five are foolish and left outside where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And five are wise. 
So when we say the bride of Christ, referring to the church, it's very, very forward-looking because the marriage hasn't happened. The marriage is a future event. The marriage supper, the marriage, it's all future, which is well into the seven years. Well into the seven years. It's not pre-tribulational. So if you ever think, you know, why would God hurt his bride? Why would Jesus hurt his bride? It's not Jesus that's doing it. It's Satan that's doing it. And God has given permission for Satan to prevail against the saints. But there's a purpose behind it. It's for refining. Just as we read here in First uh, Peter 4.19. It's to suffer according to the will of God. All these beautiful people in the Holy Scriptures that were surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, all these beautiful people, young, old, male, female, the majority of them were killed. The prophets killed. The apostles killed. For the last day's church, we have a cup of trembling to drink of. I've heard a pastors tell me, you know, you can't have a kingdom. You can't have a kingdom because there's nobody in it. You can, there, there, there's nobody in the kingdom, you know. During the millennial reign, when you know, if Jesus comes back and the and the rapture happens, you know, if it's not pre-tribulational and the rapture happens, you know, well into the seven years, then there's nobody, no kingdom because nobody's in it. And, you know, when a person tells me that, that's one thing. When a pastor tells me that, it rubs me the wrong way. Because they should know. Turn to Isaiah chapter 2. Isaiah chapter 2. In Isaiah 2, verse 2. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills. And all the nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us His ways, and we shall walk in His paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. This is a time of peace during the millennial reign. A time of peace. There will be people, survivors of the uh, plagues. Remember, in Egypt, plague after plague after plague, warning after warning after warning. And Israel went through the water on dry ground. And then the armies of Egypt chased them. It wasn't the entirety of Egypt. It was the might, the armies, the weapons, every the chariots, the horses. They were chasing after Israel. Except, you know what happened to the strength of Egypt? 
the waters consume them. The wrath of God. Israel was on the other side on dry ground. You know who was on the other side with water between them? Egypt. You know, the, the old people, the young kids, the wives. You know, not the, ar the armies were destroyed. But there were people that remained. And how humbled they were. Because now you have a people with no army. Now you have a little tribe can take them over. You know, the Canaanites can take them over. They've been humbled. But the same thing is going to happen again. It says, They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. Parents aren't going to have to send their kids into combat anymore. Turn to Zechariah 14. Zechariah 14. We were there already, but let's go there again. <clears throat> Zechariah 14. Verse 16. One verse. And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations will come against Jerusalem which came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the king the lord of hosts and to keep the feast of tabernacles this is when Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning from Jerusalem you know who's with them Israel is with them you know 144,000 you know who else is with them Christians in our glorified bodies when we put off Corruption and put on incorruption. When we put off mortality and put on immortality in our glorified bodies, we're with them. Serving the Lord. Telling them, we're going to be all over the world. You know, there's glorified bodies in, you know, present day New York City. You know, in, you know, certain, you know, have the worldly examples of government. We're going to be in our glorified bodies. Telling people, hey, you know, worship Jesus Christ. Go worship Jesus Christ. Telling them about the Lord, the survivors, the, everyone who was left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem. The Lord will be honored. He's King of kings and Lord of lords. And all the kingdoms of this earth will be given to him. All the king. You think of all our defunct governments, all of our governments which are crazy, crazy, crazy governments. Liberals, liberal judges, you know, all these governors who say, yeah, you know, you can kill a baby. The baby will be born. You know, we'll have a, we'll, a, we'll, a doctor will talk with the mother whether or not they want to kill the baby. And the baby's born already. And if the baby doesn't want, the, the mother doesn't want the baby and wants an abortion, it's not really an abortion. It's straight up infanticide. All these defunct governments will be given to Jesus Christ and his government. Our walk as Christians today is preparing us for His government, His rule, and His reign. Our walk today. The question is, will you be obedient? Will you be set apart? Or will you let the world shape you, shape your desires, shape your mind, shape your heart? Or will you allow the Holy Spirit to do that as you obey Jesus Christ and His Word? 
I say stay obedient to Jesus Christ, but it's your choice for your own soul. There's a lot of pre-tribulation references I hear too. You know, they say, oh yeah, during that seven years, in accordance with pre-tribulation theory, yeah, the Bema seat, it lasts seven years long. There's no biblical reference for the Bema seat lasting seven years long. No biblical reference. It was created to support the idea of a pre-tribulation theory. The pre-tribulation rapture theory. There is no biblical indicator that says the Bema seat is going to last seven years long. None. People say the pre-tribulation rapture is our blessed hope. Let's turn to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, verse 13. Looking for the blessed, oh, I'll just read the entire, the, the sentence. It says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. This is verse 11. Has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Praise the Lord. You see how beautiful that is? My question is, when you look at verse 13, looking for the blessed hope, people say the blessed hope is the pre-tribulation rapture. Well, look at this verse. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's my question. How does that point to pre-tribulation rapture? Where is the reference for the rapture of the church being before the seven years? Where is it? I don't see it. I'm not trying to be mean and saying it like that, but... I really don't see it. People say the blessed hope, it's pre-tribulation rapture, it's our blessed hope. Yes, our blessed hope is the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. But there's no reference to pre-tribulation rapture. It's just the opposite. Remember my little check mark from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1? Check mark 1, the appearing of Jesus Christ. Check mark 2, our gathering together to Him. That's just one verse, two check marks. And Paul says to the church in Thessalonica in his second letter, he says that they won't come until the falling away comes first, unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who exalts himself above God, proclaiming to be God. Which coincides with the abomination of desolation, which is in the middle of the seven, the middle of the seventieth week. That's gonna happen first, the abomination of desolation. I see it as just the opposite. Verse 13 here, the blessed hope. I don't see that as a pre-tribulational. Not at all. People say, oh, we'll be raptured from the hour of trial. Okay. Let's look at Revelation chapter 3. Turn to Revelation 3. 
Revelation 3. Verse 10. Revelation 3, verse 10. Because, because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. This isn't a rapture verse. I know it's, it sounds like it. It's been, you know, people translate it that way. But when you look at the Greek, the original writings, original texts, when he says, I also will keep you from the hour of trial. Number one, it doesn't say I will keep you from uh, orge. I will keep you from wrath. He says, I also will keep you from the hour of trial. It's perismos, which is testing and putting to the putting to the proof. It's a trial. I will keep you from the hour of trial. It's not I will keep you from orge. I will keep you from thumos. I will keep you from the hour of trial. It's like uh, uh, to put to the proof. But when he says, I will keep you from the hour, it's not rapture you from that. There is no rapture reference from keep you. The word is tereo in the Greek, tereo. Tereo, I'll say it like that, tereo. I'm Latino, so tereo. It's to keep, it's a military term. It's to keep as in, in the sense of guarding. It's like divine protection. I'll give you an example. Say it's 2004 in September. September 2004. And I tell you, hey, I want you to walk from one side of town to the other side of town all by yourself. You say, okay, no problem. Where is it? I say, it's in Fallujah, Iraq. You say, no way. You know how dangerous that would be to do? To walk all by yourself, one side of town to the other side of town, right down the main city center in Fallujah, Iraq. It'll be, take two steps and you'll be dead. Or worse. It, it's... Dangerous. But then I say, okay, September 2004, I want you to walk through Fallujah, Iraq, except you're not going to be by yourself. You're going to have a battalion of troops around you, heavily armored. And when I say a battalion of troops, you're going to have ground forces, you're going to have air support. You're going to have sniper fire. You're going to have all kinds of artillery. You're going to have mortars. You're going to have everything. Well, not you, but that's going to be at the disposal of the troops around you. A battalion. Not one guy, not two guys. A group of guys to protect you. That your little center in Fallujah, Iraq, is probably the safest place on earth. For you. Not the safest place on earth for the bad guys. But the safest place on earth for you. Fallujah, Iraq. Surrounded by. You're protected. 
There's no reference in uh, Revelation 3 verse 10. There's no reference of rapture. When he says, I will keep you from the hour of trial. It's not, it, does, it doesn't translate as I will rapture you from the hour of trial. He says, I will keep you. I will guard you. It's a military term. I will give you divine protection during the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. It's protection. You say, wait a second. I thought you said that the Antichrist will be given power to prevail against the saints. Yeah, it's true. So, but now you're saying we're protected? Yeah. Don't think carnally. Carnal protection is way different from spiritual protection. Way different. Remember, you hear me say sometimes in sermons, I reference Stephen. Brother Stephen, martyr in the church. Beautiful, beautiful man. He had zero protection, carnally speaking. Zero protection. He succumbed to his injury. But he had all the protection he needed spiritually. Why? Because he turned the other cheek. He didn't get up and fight back. So yeah, he had carnal exposure, but spiritual protection. So people say Revelation 3.10, oh yeah, he's going to rapture us from the hour of trial. There's no rapture reference. It's not a rapture verse. It's not in the Greek. It's a protection verse from the hour of trial, which is going to befall the earth when men's hearts will fail them. Men's hearts will fail in the last days. People say, oh no, that seven years, it's the time of Jacob's trouble. Okay. Let's turn to Jeremiah 30. Jeremiah 30. Jeremiah 30. Jeremiah 30, verse 4, says, Now these are the words that the Lord spoke concerning Israel and Judah. Israel, it's very interesting to note, Israel and Judah. And the line of the tribe of Judah. Keep that in mind. For thus says the Lord, we have heard a voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace. And now, ask now and see whether a man is ever in labor with child. So why do I see every man with his hands on his loins, like a woman in labor, and all faces turn pale? Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it, and it is the time of Jacob's trouble. Well, you know, we just referred to Revelation 12. And in Revelation 12, verse 14 and 17, you see, Jacob is not alone. Christians are included in that cup of trembling, in that cup of persecution. It is indeed a time of Jacob's trouble. It says here at the end of verse 7, but he shall be saved out of it. 
So this time of Jacob's trouble coincides with Daniel 12. Turn to Daniel 12. Daniel 12. And Daniel 12. Look at verse 1. At that time, Michael shall stand up. Some pastors, well-known pastors, Bible teachers, well-known Bible teachers, say that Michael is Jesus. That's false. False. 12 verse 1 here, Daniel 12 verse 1. At that time, Michael shall stand up. The great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble. This coincides with Jacob's trouble. Such as never was since there was a nation. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 24. Remember? Great tribulation such as never been before. It says even to that time. That's Matthew 24 verse 21. And at that time your people shall be delivered. Everyone who is found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. You know what that is? That's a rapture verse. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. You see, remember, the, 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 the living will by no means precede the dead. This is a rapture verse. The rapture of the dead and then the rapture of the living. But this is the rapture of the dead. Those who have died in Christ. It says, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. contempt. That's, you know, there is a resurrection and people who are, don't have Jesus Christ or the blood of the Lamb over their heart or in accordance with the Old Testament were not obedient to the, Remember how like Abraham, he was obedient to the Lord and it was accounted to him for righteousness sake. This is obedience under the law. There's an accounting for righteousness sake. But as new covenant believers in the age of the new covenant, when Jesus says in the upper room, this is the cup of the new covenant. Everything's changed from that point on. The cross, everything changes. It's the new covenant. And so those who are dead, if it's accounted to them for righteousness sake, you know, it's just like Abraham. The cross forward, the cross, you know, moving forward, it's Jesus Christ, the blood of the lamb over your heart. And some will rise, you know, it says, uh, many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. That's the rapture. Some to everlasting life, which is a good thing. That's the first death. The uh, first death is over. So somebody died, they're asleep. And then, you know, they've already gone through the first death. Some to shame and everlasting contempt. That's the second death. And the second death awaits. Well, they still went through the first death, but the second death awaits them. It says in verse 3, those who are wise shall shine. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. You know what that is? Glorified bodies. Glorified bodies. Shining. Those who are wise shall shine. You know, the world's wisdom is it's nothing. God's wisdom is the world. It's like oil and water. They, they, they don't mix. There's the wisdom of the world. As Christians, you need to apply the wisdom of Scripture in your life. Holy Scripture. And the world will hate you. 
The world will call you stupid. But what does the word of God call you? Your, those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. When you win souls for Jesus Christ, that's you. When you're wise, this is you. It's our glorified bodies. So people say, oh yeah, it's Jacob's trouble. Yeah, you're right, it's Jacob's trouble. But Jacob's not alone. It's the Christian's trouble too. You remember the... Uh, even Joseph, you know, Zephnapaneah had a had a wife, a Gentile wife. You know, what, what is the church? The bride of Christ. Remember, that's forward-looking because the marriage hasn't happened yet. It's a future event. At this particular moment, we're right in Daniel 12, verse 2 and 3, or verse yeah, 2 and 3. That's like, boom, marriage. Or marriage supper. Verse 2, I'd say marriage supper, and then verse 3, marriage. You see, it's like, whoa, this is how cool how the Lord teaches us all these things. I have to say something lastly, another scripture reference, lastly. Turn to Revelation 20. Revelation 20. Revelation 20, verse 4. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But, in verse 5, the rest of the dead did not live again until a thousand years were finished. This is, if you look at verse 11 really quick, it says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were open, and, an, and another book was open, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the book in the books the sea gave up the dead who were in it and death and hades delivered up the dead who were in them and they were judged each one according to his work then death and hades were cast into the lake of fire this is the second death for the christian there is no second death for the non-christian there is a second death you die in the flesh and then you're in the lake of fire the second death. You see, the lake of fire wasn't designed for humans. It was designed for Satan. It was created for Satan and demons. That was his domain. And he knows that's his domain. He knows he's going to go there. Except what Satan wants to do, he wants to take you with him. He doesn't want you to believe the things that I tell you. He doesn't want you to believe the word of God. He doesn't want you to hear anything about Jesus Christ because he wants to take you with him. He wants to subject you to the first death and he wants to subject you to the second death. He wants to kill your soul. Don't let him. 
believe in Jesus Christ. God loves you. Going back to verse 5. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. You see what's just mentioned here? This is the first resurrection. Pre-tribulation theory says the first resurrection is before the seven years. That's pre-tribulation theory, pre-tribulation rapture theory. says that the first resurrection is before the seven years. What does the Bible say? In verse 5, it says this is the first resurrection. You know who's, who's included? Look at verse 4 in the middle. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So those of the first resurrection include those who are beheaded because they didn't take the mark of the beast. And pre-tribulation theory says the first resurrection happens before the seven years. The rapture of the church happens before the seven years. The resurrection of the church happens before the seven years. You read the Bible, and what does these verses say here in Revelation 20, verse 4 and 5? No. The first resurrection includes those who... The mark of the beast system is well into the seven years. Around the middle. Maybe the fourth year. In verse 6. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. You see, we're going to have our cup of trembling. We will take casualties. And I don't mean to be like a Debbie Downer. I'm sorry. I don't mean to hurt you or rock you to the point where it's like, wow, you know, my faith is rocked. I don't want to rock your faith. What I do want to do is rock your understanding of these things. Because as we progress further and further in the last days, it's going to get worse and worse and darker and darker. And the church will take casualties. I like to think of it like combat. You know, say, for example, we're a platoon of 100 guys. We're fresh out of, you know, a boot camp. Combat training, school of infantry. We've done it. We, we, we know we're equipped. We've gone through the schooling. We know how to use the weapons. We're ready. And when I say ready, it's basic readiness. Because, you know, nothing... You, you talk with Vietnam vets. It's like nothing could prepare you for, you know, the jungles of Vietnam in close quarter combat. But, you know, you're a, a, a platoon of 100 guys. Think of a platoon commander coming out and saying, Okay, guys, we're going to ship out. 15 of you will come back. The rest of you are going to die. 15 of you will come back. And of the uh, talking to 100 guys, a platoon of 100 men. 15 of you will come back. And of the 15 that do come back, some of you will have no legs. Some of you will have no arms. And all of you will be uh, severely 
your mental faculties are going to be shot. You're going to come back crazy. You're going to come back with hardcore PTSD with the things you're going to experience. So what do the 100 guys do total? Do they hide? Do they go to Canada? Some of them did. Or do they drink the cup of trembling? That's the last day's church. The last day's church. The marriage hasn't happened. You say, why would... Why would God allow these things to happen? His ways are not our ways. Beautiful in the and beautiful in the eyes of the Lord is the death of his saints. Remember, he's long suffering, not willing that any should perish. Once the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, it's like boom. Rapture. Which coincides with the blindness of Israel, the unblinding of Israel. I know this is a hardcore message. Sometimes, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm giving a message and I say, you know, I just say kind of like loosely, not too loosely, but I say that, you know, I, I don't believe, you know, I don't adhere to a pre-tribulation rapture and I know it rocks people. I've been told people, you know, reach out to me. What do you mean? What are you talking about? Because, you know, people, you know, I, I've heard this, this pastor told me this, this pastor told me this, this guy, this guy told me this. And I know, I know the argument, the pre-tribulation theory, pre-tribulation rapture theory. But we looked at these passages, and there's more. This is like, you know, there's a lot more. I just don't want to, you know, talk your ears off. There's a lot more. These are like passages where it's like, wait a second, let's, let's see what the word of God has to say. And understand these things. Because it may very well be this. If the peace agreement happens in our lifetimes. Remember. It's going to be this peace that's going to come on earth. It's fake. It's fake. And when you say. When you tell your friends, family, people around you. Tell them. Hey, this man of peace, he's dangerous. You're going to be the bad guy. And when this person arises on the world scene and says, okay, here's the abomination of desolation proclaiming to be God. And you say, this is the Antichrist. You put a target on your head. Because the Antichrist will want to kill you. And his followers, those who worship him, will want to kill you. And then the false prophet, in accordance with Revelation 13... We'll say, oh, by the way, you can't buy or sell until you take this mark, put it on your hand or put it on your forehead. And you say no. Well, you might have your head chopped off. You see? I don't say these things to scare you. I do not say these things to scare you. If I come off that way, forgive me. I'm sorry. I don't mean to. But don't forget, in accordance with the revealing of the Antichrist, the man of sin, the son of perdition, in accordance with that event, there's also something that coincides with that. And it's the falling away of the church. 
the falling away of the faith apostasy. I don't want that to happen to you. I want to protect you with these words from Holy Scripture because I don't want you to fall away. I want you to be presented to Jesus Christ. That's my heart's desire. I want you to hear the words, Well done, my good and faithful servant. So if I came off in some of these passages, like, you know, instilling fear, I don't want to do that. There are frightening things about the last days for the Christian, for the church, for the saints. Are they tribulation saints in in accordance with pre-tribulation rapture theory? No. Not at all. We looked at the prophecies of Daniel. Daniel 9.27, the 70th week. What happens in the middle of the 70th week? What Jesus Christ says in Matthew 24 about the 70th week. What happens in the middle of the 70th week? What Paul writes about the middle of the 70th week. The gathering of the saints. The wrath of God compared with the wrath of Satan. Yeah, we're not appointed to God's wrath. But God's wrath is at the end of the seven years. So which asks the question, when is the rapture of the church? Where? I I can definitively say it's not pre-tribulation in accordance with Scripture. I'm not saying that if you're pre-tribulation that, you know, I'm your enemy. I've been told that I'm going to burn in hell for the things that I adhere to, you know, about pre-tribulation rapture. I say, hey, I don't believe in pre-tribulation. Pastors have told me, hey, you're going to burn in hell. You know, I'm going to tell other people not to listen to you. And they do it. But, you know, I love people, but I love the Lord more. (laughs) I love His Word more than anybody. I can't deviate from what I read in Scripture. I have to teach. I'm compelled to teach. Not by me, by the Holy Spirit. I'm compelled to teach. And in so doing, I can't withhold this. I mention it and sometimes, a lot of times in my studies, in my sermons. And so now I'll say, you know, if you don't know what I'm talking about, just listen to this. And you'll understand. There's going to be a great falling away and I don't want to lose you. So when does it happen? It's not pre-tribulation rapture. Sometimes people say it's mid-tribulation rapture because, you know, uh, we're not going to experience the mark of the beast. I don't believe that either because of what we read in uh, Revelation 20, verse 4. Because the first resurrection includes those who refused the mark of the beast. So therefore, it happens, the rapture of the church happens towards the end. I can't. I really can't say what the finish happens. You know, and you know, October first. You know, when it, I can't say that. But I can say the signs. I mean, when there's like a humongous earthquake in Israel, that's like, that's it. That's like it's gonna happen. It's like boom. But I can't with definitively say like you know it's gonna happen right right here at this moment. But I can give like a. You know, um, it's before the, the Battle of Armageddon. Before the Battle of Armageddon, you know, around that, towards the end of the seven years, that's when the rapture is going to happen. 
based on what these passages we read. And I want to prepare you for the last days. It's not to scare you, even though there's some scary passages. It's to prepare you so that you can be ready. So you can be ready. And why? So you can be a fisherman. A wise fisherman and strong with a sharp sword. A warrior for Jesus Christ. That's why. So we're going to end this little topical study here. God bless you guys. Love you guys.